Up. Deep to left field. This ball's high. It's deep. Number 600 for Jim Tommy. Everybody out on the field. All the twins. Get out there. Welcome to the 600 Club. Very nice, Jim Tommy. And welcome to the Sportscasters episode number 36. It is August 16, 2011, getting all that much closer to the start of the college football and National Football League season. My name is Steve Bennett. I am your host. My co-host today, as always, is the great Don Russ. How are you doing today, Don? <laughs> I don't, great, I guess. Yeah, absolutely great. We're always great, and we're here today for a podcast about sports, sports media, and the way sports and pop culture intertwine in the world around us. Got a couple of great guests lined up for you today. Todd Fritz from the Dan Patrick Radio Show is going to join us. His colleague, Andrew Pirloff, was on a few episodes ago, and Todd Fritz was a unanimous choice by our tweeters who responded to my question at sports underscore casters as to what Danette we should get on next. Everyone wanted to hear from Fritzy, so we delivered Fritzy. Fritzy will be on later today. Also, our guest, our other guest, or first guest today, we want to make sure he knows that because he was a little little, <laughs> little sore last time when he wasn't the first he got, guest. He got bumped for, I think, Peter King. For Peter King, yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's our boy Dave Damashek. Dave is going to join us right after we do three things here in a minute. So, Fritzy... Damashek, three things. We got five on fantasy. We'll be here today. We're going to do pick four. And we're, we're not going to do a book club update, but remember, real, I'll just say it off the top. Just remember uh, to keep reading about football. Find some football stuff. We got some football authors lined up for a show later in the month. So do what you can to read about football. And Don and I, before we get into it, we have our first draft. On Sunday. Have you, you haven't had another draft, have you yet, Don? I have not, no. Have you done any mock drafts or anything? What have you done so far to prepare four days away from our first fantasy football draft? I started making the cheat sheet that you guys like to pick on me for. Remember the one time I brought the cheat sheet and I had like, uh, I highlight like the guys I like in like a pinkish color, like the pink highlighter color, and the guys I don't like in blue. And you guys are picking on me because I liked like Adrian Peterson. <laughs> right, yeah, you got to <laughs> highlight him. I highlighted like the top 10 players. That's like, okay, big. these these would be good Feet guys. Peterson, that'd be, that'd be delicious. Speaking of fantasy and Dave Damashek, uh, I saw his NFL.com fantasy draft special. Not all of it, but I happened to flip onto it last night. And I will say, my wife said of the, the great Dave Damashek, he's not bad looking. So, yeah, he'll like that. Yeah. I like to hear that. Very stugly. Dave, very stugly. All right, well, let's get everything started. Let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. If you're like me, you probably spent your Sunday for six or seven hours or so watching golf as the PGA Championship just would not end on Sunday. There was a playoff, and automatically that means four holes. 
And the golf went so late on Sunday that CBS actually took CSI Miami out of the Sunday night television lineup so that they could still broadcast Same Name and Big Brother in their entireties. <laughs> you ever seen the show Same Name? I think I've seen previews for it. Like, as famous people find regular people with the same name? That's the concept. And it is the driest, most boring television show I've ever seen. <laughs> and inevitably, it ends the same way every time with the celebrity... Learning something? Realizing how great the average Joe is and giving them some kind of patronizing gift. <laughs> so, but anyway, Keegan Bradley came out of nowhere to defeat the field this week. He won his first major... Ironically, his Aunt Pat, Aunt Pat, female Aunt Pat, Mm -hmm. won six ladies' major events. So the Keegan family now has seven majors. Aunt Pat's actually a PGA Tour Hall of Famer. And I guess as we look back now on the four major championships, 2010 is obviously going to be remembered as the year of the young golfer. Uh, Tiger Woods, Phil Nicholson kind of faded away a bit. Tiger had the disaster that he has. Phil was unable to capitalize with Tiger out of the picture. And instead, we had Rory McIlroy dominating the Masters before collapsing on the last day, then bouncing back to win the U.S. Open. We had Keegan Bradley winning the PGA Tournament. And, you know, it was weird to me this weekend because the PGA Tournament really seemed to come and go without much noise at all and maybe we should talk about this with dave later because he tweeted it it just seems like it's by far the least relevant of the four major golf tournaments you have the british open u.s open and masters all seem to have more juice in the sports world than the pga and i don't know if that's because preseason football has started up and pennant races are going and there's maybe a little bit more than when the masters is although the masters is well the masters is the masters so kind of take that out of the equation but something like the u.s open is in the middle of june there's only baseball going on a little bit of a quieter sports time do you think we're still maybe like in a in a tiger hangover type period where it could be he was in it but he was never really involved like he missed he he missed the cut right he He had his worst day in a major since 1996 when he wasn't even a professional yet so he just seems to have faded all the way out but it will be interesting to see what the PGA does to try in the future to try to make the PGA tournament more relevant. We'll talk to Dave about this later, but he suggested moving it to match play. My first thing this week is Mark Sanchez. Everybody's talking about Mark Sanchez and his GQ spread and how he, quote, wanted to fight him in reference to Rex Ryan. He was really mad. Now, we get it. The Jets are a tough team. Bart Scott gave one of the most awesome <laughs> uh post-game interviews ever that would make the macho man and the rock proud but come on you're rex ryan or you're matt sand or you're mark sanchez why do i keep calling him matt you're mark sanchez you're the quarterback you've never been known for being like this especially gritty tough guy you don't need to perpetuate this attitude about your team and we get it. The Jets are a tough team. Rex Ryan. The Jets are getting a bit tiresome. Yeah. They're just there. They're in your face. They're really in your face. And I guess it kind of started with maybe hard knocks last year and getting to know these personalities a little bit more. Rex with his famous line, now let's get a goddamn snack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, the, the personalities that are surround the Jets in New York City and the, this rivalry between Mike Francesa and the team. I don't know if you noticed last week, but... Mike Francesa finally got to interview 
Rex Ryan and Frances has been real critical, and it was going to be this big stare down. Ended up not being much, but you know, it just seems like the Jets are really in your face. There's a lot of personalities, and maybe the quarterback here feels like he needs to do a little bit more to fit in. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. I mean, uh, win something. I mean, they've been the AFC champion, so it's not. I'm not. They've been to the AFC championship game. Well, right. They've been to the AFC championship game twice. But, I mean, they're becoming the Eagles all of a sudden, a team that can get that fire but not make it. And just do something first. The teams that are quiet, like the Patriots and the Steelers, are the ones that are beating you when it matters. So, yeah, we get it, Jets. You guys are tough. All right, my number two, last night, huge night for sports history. We played it off the top. Jim Tomei entered the 600 home run club. Very proud of Jim Tomei. Good guy. Never really been linked to the dirty stuff. Right. Seems like he's just gotten up and done it. He's hit home runs in Buffalo, New York. As a <laughs> member of the Buffalo Bisons way yep. back when. So Jim Tomei hit 600. He's the eighth player to achieve the goal. Don, do you think you could name seven others? Uh, no, I could not. Let's give it a try. Um, Barry Bonds. Uh, Number one. Hank Aaron. Number two. Uh, Babe Ruth. Number three. Um, uh, Sammy Sosa. He is number six. Mark McGuire. Eh. Oh, I didn't think so. Two active guys. Two active guys. Uh, A-Rod. A-Rod. And well, this other guy's listed as active, but I don't think he is. If he is, he's barely active. <laughs> I I don't know. So the ones you're missing are Willie Mays. Oh, duh, yeah. And Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I don't think Griffey's active. I anymore. don't think so either. Not since I he fell asleep in that that meeting or right, whatever. Yeah. It says here he's active, but he's not. So only two play three players have hit 700 home runs: Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. So Jim Tomei. Is in rare, rare, a fight air in Major League Baseball, being one of only seven players. And you know, yeah, like you said, since Bonds is dirty, right? He was never connected to it. You can cross off a few guys. You can cross on that off list. Bonds, he's dirty. Definitely cross, cross off, off Sosa, Sosa, he's dirty. Cross off A Rod, he's dirty. So that leaves us with Griffey, Mays, Ruth, and Aaron. Yeah, and Tomei. I mean, Tomei's That's probably not incredible. in that class. He's a little bit of like a like compiler. a compiler. Yeah, but he still did it. You can't take away from six hundred. So. And there's been plenty of guys who've played as many games, who or don't more, who don't have six hundred. Right, and it's he's, not like he's played some unworldly amount. Of right, games. right, and he's one of the good guys in baseball. So it's nice to see. Good for him. And he did it in front of uh, his family, I believe. So it was nice that they were there. Two home runs in one night to do it. Yep. Um, I love Ocho Cinco. Uh, I think we've talked about this in the past, along with our Twitter obsession. I'm, I have an on and off relationship with him on Twitter because sometimes he just tweets too much. But his latest uh, shenanigans, I guess you can say, are going on in New England. He says, quote, I'm going to do something different. I'm actually going to stay with a fan for the first two, three weeks of the season when asked about his current living situation. He says that should be fun until I get myself acclimated and learn my way around. He hasn't picked the fan yet. He doesn't know how he's going to pick the fan, but he says the only requirements are going to be that he said, I'm not sure how it's going to work, but they have to have the internet. They have to have an Xbox. That's about it. <laughs> Cause he loves his call of duty. Couldn't he just bring his Xbox? You would think so. He does have a little bit of money, but, uh, I'm a bills fan, unfortunately. And that makes me also a Patriots, not fan. 
but it's hard to dislike. It's getting harder and harder to dislike the Patriots with guys like Ocho Cinco and just good guys like Wes Welker and. Ocho is just such a great. He's a character, but in a good way. Yeah, you know, he's just such a funny, likable, laughable dude, and he's done some great. Like you mentioned, he loves Call of Duty. When this last Call of Duty came out, he mentioned where he was going to buy it. Said anyone who came while he was there, he'd buy it. He bought it, right? Yeah, and he's done that with taking people to the movies and all that fun stuff. Anyone that doesn't like him just has no sense of humor and is a little bit too serious about their sports. But this is a pretty cool thing. I'd invite him into my house if he wanted to. Wouldn't it be awesome? I think it'd be great. Would you be worried he'd bang your wife? <laughs> I don't know what his reputation is there. I, I know he has uh, dated older women from his time on the T. Ocho show. So and my, my wife is, well, I don't know if she's older than him or younger than him. I, I'm not sure of his age right off the top, but they're pretty close in age. So uh, I, I wouldn't be too worried. Okay. That would be the only real fear is that <laughs> stole your woman. But other than that, it'd be, I think it would be a grand time just – Hang around, play video games with Ocho yeah, Cinco. Yeah, why not? Make sure he takes the dog out, does some dishes. Would you give him chores? Would I give Ocho like, Cinco look, chores? You stay here, but you're going to have to help out around the house. You know, tidy up your room. and Yeah, he'd have to keep his dishes. room clean, but uh, he seems like a generous guy. I'm sure he's going to toss that fan a couple bucks or some tickets or something like that. So I'm sure in addition to just being awesome, it's going to be probably a good out. time. Yeah. All right, my number three thing, last one for this week is really strange story that I read today on ESPN.com. And word has come out of Cleveland that Colt McCoy spent a few days in the offseason just hanging out with Brett Favre in Mississippi. Just cutting a lawn. Just hanging out. And the thought process behind it is that Colt McCoy is going to be running the West Coast offense in Cleveland. And Brett Favre is considered the greatest West Coast offense QB of all time. Spent over 20 seasons running the West Coast offense. And Colt McCoy somehow made his way down there and got to hook up with Favre. I'm not sure of the connection at all. I don't know how it was initiated. You know, Favre's from Mississippi. I know Colt McCoy went to Texas. I'm almost certain he's born in Texas. Could be wrong, but I'm almost certain of that. So I'm not really sure where the connection came. But what's surprising to me is do you think Aaron Rodgers is somewhere – kind of mumbling under his breath, saying, oh, fuck you, Favre. <laughs> I mean, these guys were teammates, right. and it was sort of known that Favre was somewhat cold to Rodgers, and yet he'll host randomly Colt McCoy down at his own home for days to help him with footwork. And Yeah. Uh, first off, Colt, uh, Colt McCoy was born in New Mexico, just New Mexico. for the fact checkers okay. out there. And uh, I I wonder to some degree if Favre is trying to clean up his image a little bit because he's kind of done nothing but poke holes in this. He's, at the time, was one of the most likable quarterbacks and easiest to get behind. Like, here's this every man he that just the loves the game. He was cool. Yeah, he, was, he, he had fun on the field and the old gunslinger, all that type of thing. And then, like, the old gunslinger kind of became almost like a swear word. It was a four-letter word. I mean, to call him that because he was just – him messing up and retiring, then not retiring and coming back and holding teams ransom kind of or hostage. So maybe he's trying to clean up his image. And I mean, good for Colt McCoy, I guess. Yeah, good for Colt McCoy. Good for Browns fans. Colt McCoy, I think, is a good guy too. I'm definitely not a fan of where he came from, <laughs> but he's a good kid. He really is, and good quarterback, good leader. And I remember when he was uh, drafted, they compared him a little bit to Drew Brees. So. Yeah, so let's see, uh, you know, let's see what he can do here with uh, Fire South. You looked great the other night in the first preseason game. Yeah. My last thing, I'm going to play a little clip here. 
Yeah. See this guy realize all this talent. This guy's from West Texas State A&M. Mike, this guy's been brilliant. This guy's money. And this guy's a big explosive player. This guy ran all over the place making plays. See this guy right here, Mike Westoff. He's this guy. This guy. This guy has always demanded double coverage. That was uh, <laughs> the, the incomparable John Gruden. And uh, this comes from our friends at Sports Grid, and that's why I love sites like Sports Grid. It's a sports site, but they did a they re- did the rundown of how many times John Gruden on Monday Night Football said this guy. It turns out here's the stats, here's the tail of the tape. Uh, Gruden had a total of eleven this guys, up five from last week. Broken down by quarter, he had none in the first, seven in the second, four in the third, and none in the fourth. Most wow. of yes, most of Gruden's this guys occurred during a five minute span in the second quarter, <laughs> and uh, they said they did not want to count borderline versions of this guy such as these guys or that guy so it was just this guys because they didn't want to head down a slippery slope and he said every one of the this guys were lead-ins to overwhelmingly positive points about the player in question so uh yeah well sports grade that's a pretty funny thing and john gruden if i mean if he was your scout he would love everyone he absolutely he saw maybe he's just a little bit too friendly as an announcer because he wasn't a bad coach i don't think but we're going to have Richard Deitchon in a couple of weeks to talk about football media and the announcers and all kinds of stuff like that. And one criticism of the current Monday Night team, which is Tirico, Jaws, and Gruden, is that they're overly positive toward positive. everybody. They yeah. love everything and everyone. And I think Gruden is in a position where he's not sure if this is what he wants to do for the rest of his rest of his time, or if he wants to coach. And I don't think he wants to burn any bridges <laughs> and really put himself out there bad-mouthing a guy because he could be coaching them in a year or two. Well, as likable as he is, then maybe that's not the right job for him then at the well, time. Well, I think he's just on the fence, and I think once he commits himself either way, I think it's going to take that for him to get better at this. Yeah. And we'll have to ask Richard Deitch's opinion on that because he probably knows better than I do. But these guys are just – they love everything, and even – Jaws is bad sports, with that, too. Sports guy Bill Simmons, is, uh, you know, someone who's in the same network, has been real critical of them for doing that as well. So we'll have to get Richard Deitch's opinion on that. Absolutely. So that's three things for today. We're going to come back. Here's what we're going to do the rest of the show. We're going to come back, do our interview with Dave Damashek because he wants to be first, damn it. <laughs> After that, we're going to do five on fantasy. After five on fantasy, we'll do an interview with Todd Fritz, and we'll end it all with pick four. So let's take a pause right now, and we'll be right back with the great Dave Damashek. Our next guest is from the banks of the Three Rivers, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and is a graduate of Shady Side High School and Indiana University. He has worked in television, producing pages for Jimmy Kimmel Live, BattleBots, The Man Show, and many others. He is also a pioneer in the podcasting industry, having hosted Damashek On Demand for ESPN, the Dave Damashek Show powered by AccuScore, Daves of Thunder for the Ace Broadcasting Network, and his current show, the Dave Damashek Football Program for NFL.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our best buddy leading off today, Dave Damashek. How are you doing today, Dave? Fellas, I'm doing well, except for the fact that for the last time I told you to stop bringing up BattleBots. We all have some skeletons in our closet. <laughs> I'm not proud of what I had to do. I had to 
the mean streets of Hollywood. You do what you have to do to scrape out a living in the uh, in the early days. Don loves BattleBots, though. Yeah. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah, okay, why not? Cool. Sure. Because it's robots that they fight each other. That's the thing with them. Yeah. They're not. You know, it's a powerful lesson. You know, if you didn't learn your lesson from Terminator and from the Matrix, just remember that's the lesson. That's your takeaway from BattleBots. The robots eventually are going to turn against us. They turned against each other in BattleBots. But soon enough, they'll get bored of that, and they will take out mankind if we aren't careful. And BattleBots kind of spawned the uh, the MythBusters guys, right? I mean, you could take credit for that, then. All right, I don't know what MythBusters is, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that you usually do on your podcast, and we always do it when you're on ours is you kind of talk about what number show it is and the athletes who wore that number. And it's the perfect episode for you, Dave, number 36, the bus, Jerome Bettis, right? Uh, yeah, that is a good one. So, but, but in other words, just to make sure we're clear on this, uh, what, you, what you just admitted to is that you steal my bit. <laughs> Only when you're on. Yeah. Yeah, we don't do oh, it when okay. you're not oh, around. Okay. Yeah, but when, uh, when you're on, we like to partake the, uh, in the bit. 36. Who else was there? Yeah, that's a bad number in sports history. It's, it's the bus was a great one, um, of course. But Hall of Fame even have any competition? Hall of Fame baseball pitcher Robin Roberts. All right, all right. <laughs> Leroy Butler, the creator of the Lambo Leap. Former Buffalo. I never liked that. Have I mentioned to you that I dislike that? I don't understand Leroy Butler. Right. Uh, it, it, yeah, he created that. And, you know, you're not allowed to, I'm all in favor, of course. Oh, that's one of the, when the commissioner and I start talking on the phone, we, we like to get on the phone, we bend each other's ear for hours on end about football and whatever else is on our minds. But when the commissioner and I talk and we disagree about things, one of them is the end of celebration thing. You know, I, I happen to like it. What's wrong with a little celebration of a touchdown in an NFL game? But he doesn't like it. It's self-promoting or whatever. Then how come you're allowed to do the Lambo leap? Yeah, Terrell Owens can't make a pen out of his sock and sign a football. That was clever. Ocho Cinco can't do a little, uh, a little uh, river dance. Too. Joe Horn. Yeah, he can do whatever. He, shame the devil if they do that. But 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 I can go right behind the end zone and jump into the crowd. That it has a name. That is an end zone celebration by definition. It's called the Lambo Leap. It has a name to it. I don't get why that's allowable. But anyway, yeah, we continue with the other 36. There can't be a good hockey one, right? Well, you think there would be, but... Sabre and uh, Penguin. Matthew, Matthew Barnaby. Barnaby. And oh, no. Matthew Barnaby. Yep. Bad <laughs> guy, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah ESPN scandalous. Yeah, we didn't know it. He was just a ne'er-do-well on the ice. He was a, uh, he was a pioneer... Not of of dropping the gloves, but but of just being a the under the skin type of guy, the agitator sort. Uh, he was the predecessor to Matt Cook and uh, and uh, who else? I guess uh, what's his name? Sean Avery is yeah. I guess quintessential version of that. But yeah, who um, was the first Kenny Kenny the Rat Linsman, fighting guy? He right, was, that was before your time. Like, no, he, I used to see him play at the odd. I remember Linsman. I remember Linsman from going to hockey games as a kid with my dad in the odd. Sabres and Bruins were pretty big rivals in the Adams division, and he was the most hated oh, yeah. player in the auditorium. Kenny Linsman, they used to call him the rat, right? Yep, 
Yep. Jimmy the Rat, yep. And uh, he, was a, he was a nasty little pill. Yeah, he was. But uh, hey, listen, Mazel Tov to you guys. Um, your Sabres, they're looking, they're looking actually not too bad. They didn't get much attention um, nationally, but people in the know understand that their additions were pretty good. And let's hope Crosby, with these rumors that Crosby still having the concussion syndromes and uh, uh, symptoms and everything. But, I mean, the the conference stacks up with a bunch of heavyweights. Let's assume Crosby and Malkin are both healthy. That team is great. The Flyers are great. Um, the Bruins, obviously, are the defending champions. The Lightning. But be on the lookout for the Sabres this year. They, they, I, I like the, uh, the pieces they had. Yeah, we're very happy here. It was nice to be a player on July 1st, instead of just sitting back and watching all our players get sucked up. But we were happy with the uh, Enroth deal. And Vinny Lino was almost a little bit of a move to make a move. I think they wanted to make sure everyone believed what he said. And he's not a true center, but they're going to try him there. But he's been great in the playoffs the last couple of years. So we're pumped about the Sabres. Definitely, definitely excited sure, about the Sabres. Ago, when the Flyers made their big run a couple of years ago, he was definitely their best forward. Right. So, yeah, and he was good uh, last year, too. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely could see him breaking out a little bit. But, uh, you know, I mean, that, that Flyers team so loaded with uh, with uh, skill um, that uh, maybe he'll break out a little bit on the, with the Sabres this year. Yeah, but Tyler Myers, Enroff, and... Erhoff. Or Erhoff and... Uh, Regeer. Regeer is a nice top three in defense, too, yeah. with Ryan Miller and that. Great blue so, line. Yeah. Great blue line, yeah. And, that, and as you know, obviously it's a cliche, but it also is true that... Um, the the blue liners, especially the big boys like uh, like Myers, he uh, he was good from day one. But those big boys like that, as they fill out a little bit, they get better and better. He's gonna you know three years from now he'll be one of the you know two or three best defensemen in the game, and he's not too far off already. So get yeah, uh, brighter days for you. And that owner, what's his name? He's throwing money around like nobody's business. So Terry, you guys should probably be in good shape for the as long as uh, you play it smart with the salary cap. You guys should be in good shape for years to come. Yep, Terry Pagula is his name. He donated something like eighty million dollars to Penn State University so they could start their D one hockey program. Oh yeah, that's right, Mike. Yeah, we've talked on this show before that uh, the Shine family, my relatives in Buffalo, uh, including Jake Shine one of the state champion hockey players of, uh, of uh, last high school uh, hockey season. Um, they were telling me all about that. So, yeah, I, I don't approve of Penn State making any advances in area in any area. Being a Pittsburgher, <laughs> I, I support Pitt instead. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, good days uh, for you guys uh, coming up. So I thought it was going to be good days for you in baseball this season. We talked a little bit with DJ Gallo about this last week, but I want to get your perspective it was the feel-good story of baseball. The Pittsburgh Pirates were in contention. They weren't just going to finish 500, but they were going to f- battle to the end for the NL Central, and then a 10-game losing yeah, street yeah, yeah. and just fell apart. What happened, buddy? I don't know. Did they fall apart? I don't know. I lost, uh, <laughs> I lost interest when uh, the Steelers went to camp. I don't know. I started paying attention to NFL. So they, they're out of it now? Yeah, they're, they're out of uh, it. Yeah, I, listen, that's disappointing, but what yeah. I said it, you know, six weeks a month or two months ago. That with the Buckos, let's just try to keep some perspective here, everybody. The Buckos were actually relevant into the month of August. You know, that's that, what more could you ask? 
they were over 500 in the month of August. So, you know, what are they now? They're, they're six games out, five games out, five games under 500. Yep. To me, that's the goal. Hopefully they come back and they can at least get even up and get the stink of the, the 18-season losing streak off their back and then move forward from there. What, what can you say? They, they did their best. I approve of, and I get a lot of tweets. I get a lot of noise from people about, oh, you're a fair weather fan. You never, you always talk about how the Pirates are lousy, and now all of a sudden you're a fan of this. Yeah, because they're trying to win. Huntington and company have, you know, they they generally, the nutting family that owns the Buckeyes, have just blatantly made no effort to win ever. Um, in 18 years. It all really bottomed out uh, a couple of years ago when they passed over Matt Wieters, the, the supposedly all-world catcher, in favor of Daniel Moskis, who, according to everybody, projected to be a middle reliever in the major league at best, and they chose him first overall. And uh, the Pirates said, hey, that's just how uh, our scouts lined it up. We just wanted Daniel Moskis more. It had nothing to do with money. It's the same thing as when Paul Abdul was on uh, American Idol, and everybody said, you're on drugs. It's, it's so clear she's on drugs. And she said, how dare you accuse me of being on drugs? I am not on drugs. Oh, so then the other alternative is, is that you're just a plain Crazy. lunatic. You know? <laughs> Same thing with pirates, with the Pirates management a couple of years ago. Oh, so wait a second. It had nothing to do with money. You actually thought that this Daniel Moskis guy was going to be better than this, than, than this catcher that everybody else thinks is best. So you're just imbecile. That's the answer. So you're just boobs. And after that, it became clear that they had to start, that they had completely lost the faith of the city and everybody turned against them. And ever since then, they, they have been operating like a bona fide uh, major league team, making some decent decisions, spending money wisely. They're not the Yankees or Red Sox and can't throw it around, but, you know, they're investing in their farm system. And it does seem like they're on their way. I don't think it's obviously, I well, we know it's not this year. I have foretold of this already. I said, 2013, the Battle of Buccos will claim the NL Central. Hear me now, believe me later. And you know, whether the Pirates are good or the Pirates are bad, one thing you can't take away from the city of Pittsburgh is there's just about nowhere else in the entire country better than PNC Park to watch a Major League Baseball game. It's one of the most beautiful places in the entire country. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I was talking with uh, I was talking with Sporty Simmons about that on his uh, podcast uh, a little while ago, and um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've been to Wrigley Field and Fenway, and you know, there are the authentic articles those two places, and so you can't really compare anywhere else to that. Those places have been around for like what, like twenty years or something at, at least. least. Yeah, but um, but yeah, those places are great. But if you remove that, if you if you cut it into two categories of the stadiums that have been around since before we were born, and then the ones that start springing up around Camden Yards and after. Um, yeah, PNC Park is the, is the best of them. And I've been to, to Pac Bell in San Francisco, but um, yeah, PNC Park's lovely. The only thing that bums me out is, of course, I, I'm never there. I'm in L.A., and, you know, I, I decided, I made a promise to myself and uh, that if they were in, still in contention, when the Cincinnati Reds and St. Louis Cardinals came to town for a homestand about uh, three, four weeks ago, that I would invest in the MLB ticket in the uh, in the package, and so I did that. And as soon as I did that, the, I don't think the Pirates have won a game since. So, 
It was a complete waste of my money. But otherwise, look, I'm, 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 I'm surprisingly optimistic, uh, given how I know my brain normally operates the pessimism that I, uh, I spit out. But, yeah, listen, I, I, I'm fine with it. I had no expectation that the Buckos would be anywhere close to 500. So, listen, this, uh, this season's a victory. And what does the day, what do I always say? What's most important about baseball season is that it's compelling enough to bridge the gap into football season. And it did that in spades for me in 2011. Absolutely, and I want to talk about football a lot with you. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the Damashek brand because it's kind of been it's been going great. You mentioned that you were on the Simmons podcast a short time ago, and we enjoyed having you on. And there's kind of this like Damashek. You know how they have the coaching trees in football, where there's like the Damashek Damashek tree with Jonah Carey, who's now working for a sports guy on that. He's doing great, and DJ Gell is doing his thing, and all your guys are all around, and you're on ESPN, you're on the NFL Network, you got your own podcast. So I can take credit for them? I can take credit for Gallo and Carey's success? I think Gallo, you know, I relate them to you. I think a lot of people do. Maybe maybe that's just how I stumbled upon them, but I kind of view them as... I'm going to let them know that they owe it to me, and I want 10%. Absolutely. (laughs) But how come you're never on with Corolla anymore? Don's a big Corolla guy, loves to listen to that podcast. We haven't heard you on there in forever. You always do such a great job with Ace. I know it. Yeah, listen, you know, a lot of people, I still get emails to this day about uh, Days of Thunder, the, uh, the, the what I thought was a fine program, which had nothing to do with me. It's great it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with uh, David Feeney, who was very funny on the show. But, um, yeah, you know, I've been booked on the show a couple of times, and then uh, it gets canceled because uh, his executive producer, the Wee. Uh, canceled, and uh, he doesn't want me in the studio for some reason. He perceives me to have done that, to have slighted him in some way, because when they pulled the show, um, he got a bunch of, I guess, emails and tweets and all that sort of thing that were uh, that were unpleasant. They were directed at him, and it caused a great deal of acrimony, and um, so somehow that was my fault that that happened, and um, that the fans reacted poorly to the show. And so, or to, to the uh, to the show, leaving the network, and so I guess he's so out of spite, or I don't know what, or trying to avoid that happening. He doesn't bring me back on the show, which seems weird to me. But yeah, I love going out with Ace. Of course, it's great fun. Who's funnier than uh, the Corolla? It's a shame I don't get to go on there and kids with him about uh, all manner of subjects anymore. But you on know- the bright side, I will say we're talking about doing a. Uh, we always have been talking about it. Feeney and I, we're going to do a Jacuzzi Pita course. We're going to do a, a reunion show at some point. We want to, I told you that uh, maybe the last time we were on, I was on with you. We want to do sort of like the Brady Bunch, you know, after the show left the air. They did periodically, they would do, uh, they would do like Christmas specials and stuff like that. That's how, that's how we want to do it. We're going to, we'll, we'll do that periodically. So be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, doing the weekly NFL podcast, that's, that's fun, as long as you like sports. And even if you don't, we mix in our usual hooey and applesauce. Well, I love the NFL podcast, and I've been listening all summer, really. And that's been one of the things that has bridged my gap from the end of hockey season to the start of football. And I want to thank you for that. But I also want to talk a little bit about a really cool opportunity you had, and that was to go to Canton and probably witness... God, it had to be the most entertaining Hall of Fame induction ceremony of all time, right? 
Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to get to go out there, flew in on a red eye, landed on the banks of the Three Rivers, um, and got in early in the AM and went straight to Promantis, flopped down a, uh, a pastrami with the fries and coleslaw on top of it, of course, then hit the road out to Canton. And, um, yeah, it really is sort of like being stepping into a time machine when you get into the physically into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it just it's like it's 1965 in there. The architecture, the look of it, everything. The people in there who talk to you have such great earnest stories about the history of football and everything. You think like, ah, all right, you know, I'm I too old to care about this. But of course, I'm a uniform guy, and for anybody who loves uniforms. That's the best thing in the world because they have all the old jerseys up there, and so that's really cool. Uh, and all you fact, full uniforms of the players, and, that, and so that's fun to look at. And great stories, like for instance, the uh, a guy was showing us around in the early days of football when it, for when pro football first started up, they used to wear leather masks, not unlike what. What you see Mexican wrestlers do, you know, though, I forget what those are called, the uh, Mexican masks. Yes, uh, the luchadors. Those masks are, so they wore something that looked kind of like that, or or Hannibal Lecter. Either way is kind of what they look like. And uh, the reason they did that was because they were college students, and they couldn't play, they they couldn't maintain amateur status, so in order to get paid... They had to hide their identity, hmm. basically like wrestlers. They were they had uh, different, they had alter egos to play football. I thought stuff like that was awesome. Not to mention, I saw um, one of my favorite things to rail against is uh, the most overrated in pro football history. I think in Tom Dempsey kicking the sixty-three yard field goal. <laughs> yeah, they and, had. Uh, people always hail him. Oh, listen, he was a you know he had a handicap. Yeah, now you didn't have a handicap. Yeah, he had a half of a foot, and he didn't have a hand. But in football. It was an advantage. When you see this shoe up close, I always compared it to, yeah, of course he could make a 63-yard field goal because he had a steel-plated half boot because he had a half a foot. And I would say, oh, it's like kicking a field goal with a three-iron. But when you see it, it looks, I'm not kidding you, like a sledgehammer. It's just like, (laughs) of course he could make that. Of course he could kick field goals with that thing. It was a disadvantage. I mean, it was was the greatest advantage you could have ever had. So (laughs) that, I say to it, now that I've seen it up close. Well, thanks for uh, belittling one of the greatest moments in Saints history on my podcast, Dave. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, I, I think the Saints are uh, going to be really good this year. And, and that's sincere. I think the Saints are going to be gangbusters. I think the defense is going to be good. I think it's going to be in the uh, form that it was two years ago when they're really aggressive and forcing a lot of turnovers and the offense will get back on track. I, I'll be interested to see what the kid out of uh, Alabama does. Ingram. Mark Ingram. Yep. I, everybody's, everybody is assuming he's going to be a great fantasy guy and beyond that he's going to get the bulk of their carries. I'm inclined to think she is, but let's not forget, who, who can really say what's going to happen there when two things. One, Pierre Thomas was hurt all of last season, but the year before that he was the playoff and Super Bowl hero, or at least one of them. Yep. So this idea... They're just that Peyton is just going to sort of cast him aside in favor of the new toy seems presumptuous. One and two, look at the way Sean Payton treats his receivers. You know, none of those guys. It's, Marcus Colston, I guess, is, is the best of the lot or has been the most successful of the lot. 
But you never know who Drew Brees is going to throw it around to. You never know who's going to be catching passes on a given weekend. And so who's to say that that's not what's going to happen with the running back situation there? Um, well. And also, let's not forget Chris Ivory, too, who also kind of broke out as their speed back. So, uh, but, yeah, I, the, I think the Saints are up there just a tier below the Packers. I still think they're probably the best team, and that the Eagles come together, and they're probably the second best. But the – the bottom line is the NFC has, uh, with those three teams at least, I think, um, and maybe a lamp that you mix in with that too, there are maybe four teams better in the NFC than anybody in the AFC. Interesting. So before, listen, I want to talk to you about fantasy, but before we get too far away from the Canton thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You, so is that your first time you were at the inductions? And what did, how was it? If you're sitting there, does that get kind of long, or was it entertaining enough to get through it? Well, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it was kind of long because it was because it was raining earlier that day, and it had been a long. You know, we've been running around the whole weekend, so it's kind of like, all right, let's get through some of it. But I'll, you know, the for the most part, yeah, it was it was pretty uh, compelling stuff. Um, the I thought the if I were to rate the speeches, I thought you know whose speech was good was Chris Hamburgers. I actually liked that. Nobody talked about that one. I just thought he seemed like someone from another time, but not from a time too long ago. I mean, he played in the seventies. He seemed like a good, humble, regular fella. You know, would be wouldn't be bad to go out fishing with or something like that if I fished. But um, but uh, you know, yeah, Sharp's speech was great and. Um, what was neat was I got to meet a bunch of the NFLers, and speaking of the old-timers, they are cut from a completely different cloth. You know, these the, today's players are much more media savvy. They're much more, they, they get if you're joking. And it's not to say that Deacon Jones and uh, Rayfield Wright and Dick Butkus and Mijo Green are humorless people, but when you meet them, they're, they're more humble, and so if you say for a joke, like when I interview some of these some of these players on the NFL, today's players, they'll play ball, whatever you want to do. Like, yeah, they'll, they'll play along, hey, be a jerk to me, talk trash to me when we're doing this bit. They'll do it because, you know, they're accustomed to doing it, and they're media savvy. When you say it to the older players, they're kind of like, oh, I would never say anything like that. I wouldn't <laughs> talk trash like that. And I'm like, oh, come on, talk trash to me. Or talk trash to whoever, you know. No, no, that's not my way. That's not my way. You know, and you're like, oh, wow, so you're a gentleman. And you end up resenting them for being too gentlemanly, and then you take a step back and you realize, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was kind of fun to, to you know, glad-handed. What we did get to do was uh, my, the, my partner on the podcast, Adam Rank, and I interviewed Dale Sayers for 25 minutes. Nice. And he, um, and he went into... Gail Sayers did. We were talking about Chicago restaurants and stuff like that, you know, so it's funny to be kibitzing about Gail Sayers, the, the Kansas comment, Kansas comment about his favorite restaurants in Chicago. Um, but um, he didn't seem to enjoy it as much as I did. But, um, <laughs> but then I asked him about Jay Cutler and his thoughts on Cutler's behavior at the NFC title game last year. And he went into it. He went, oh, that was unacceptable. If you're the quarterback of the team, you don't act like that. I don't care if he was hurt or not. You have to be up on the edge of the sideline, yelling at your at your teammates, encouraging them, making sure everybody's straight, moping around on the sidelines. It's unacceptable. Get rid of the guy and so on. It was great. It was really 
uh, it was really a great, it was a great uh, take from uh, you know one of the all-time Bears legends. And uh, so we said, all right, great, post that. Uh, you know, it'll be great for football fans to hear this legend's opinion on uh, on Jay Cutler. And uh, they said, oh, uh, we lost the audio. We we, we don't oh. have it. And and they, they lost. They they just plump lost our Gale Sayers interview. And I said, uh, I said, well, not to, don't worry about it, fellas. We'll just, we'll just get Gale Sayers again next week. And they said, how are you going to get Gale Sayers again next week? And I said, we're not going to ever get him again. And that's <laughs> my point. Of course, that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And you lost it. So, anyway. We know how you... Now you took me back to that place. Yeah, we know how you feel. The one time we did a good 20 minutes with the Ed that we accidentally <laughs> lost and had to re-record. <laughs> Imagine having to talk to the ad twice in one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once a, once a year is more than enough. Uh, no, I miss the ad. I, 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 the, the ad uh, stays in touch via the uh, social media. For a 55-year-old man, he's, uh, he's pretty with it. I give him that. I'll give him that. Right. Yeah, smart guy. So here's the thing. I want to know exactly what to expect from Damashek this fall. You're going to be continuing the football podcast, I'm sure. Are you going to be doing the shame report videos? Are you going to be doing the Sunday morning fantasy football show? Where, what exactly is your role at the NFL Network going to be when we have this season well, coming up? You'll be pleased to learn that uh, I just this very day uh, shot a shame report. So be on the lookout for that uh, preseason edition of the shame report. Not the only preseason one, probably, but I had some things to get off my chest, including the uh, the guy who made the bust for Deion Sanders at the Pro Football <laughs> Olympics, um, and some other some other things. Um, so I got into that on the Shame Report, and I just did a talking ball with Brad Childress last week. I gave him some coaching tips on how to get back on the sidelines there. I think he was very receptive to some keen ideas I had. Um, and, yeah, I'll be doing the Sunday morning fantasy show again. I'll be uh, scratching out some, some written stuff, all of which can be trying the podcast, of course, which we're trying to do twice a week now. All of them can be found at uh, NFL.com. And I think on Thursday or maybe even Wednesday of this week, the blog, my the, the Damashek blog on NFL.com will go live. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, daily uh, stuff will go up there. And uh, as I always say, as you fellas know, uh, you know, my my work is uh, I'm a fan, and so it's uh, for the fan, by the fan, and I like uh, fan participation when we do these things. So I'll be I'll be doing all that stuff. Plus, I do a, co- a really cool new segment from uh, from my pals up in Chicago, Bindle Dog. These guys who've animated some stuff. Maybe you've seen it before. Some stuff that they've animated for me in the past. They created something. Um, from the podcast, I do something called the NFL, the butterfly effect, right. the NFL, where you know if you take one moment in NFL history and tweak it ever so slightly, the domino effect, how how different history would be. Um, so they animated by uh, the first one I did with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, and it's really cool. And again, it has nothing to do with me; it has to do with uh, how clever these guys were with the animation. And that'll be up uh, this week as well on the blog. So be on the lookout for that. I think that's uh, going to be a really cool feature. And they just uh, agreed to do them for the rest of the season. So we'll be doing those throughout the season. But, yeah, so cool stuff at NFL.com. Me and the commissioner are tight, see? Yeah, he's a native Western New Yorker as well. So we go way back with him, too, from his days oh, of growing up. Yeah, he's and from Jamestown, New York. That. 
Yeah, it's from Jamestown, New York, just outside of uh, Buffalo here. And, uh, yeah, we go back, way back with him as well. He's a big sportscasters guy. <laughs> oh, terrific. Yeah, well, you know, if you want me to, I'll try to, you know, I'll, I'll put a bug in his ear to come on the show. He'll, you know, he and I are pretty tight. Uh, yeah, oh, please you know, do. I ask him, if I ask him for a favor, I'm sure he would do it. Nice. So have you had a fantasy draft yet? I did one just this morning for NFL with uh, NFL.com in the so-called Experts League, but it seemed like anything but based on uh, how good my team came out compared to everybody else's. Um, it was uh, all the guys that are going to be on the fa- on the uh, fantasy show, Rank, Michael Fabiano, Elliot Harrison, and Andrew Siciliano, and uh, 12-team league with a flex position. You guys are familiar with yep. the flex position, right? Oh, yeah. Um you know, the third spot, the third skill, you could either play a running back uh, or a wide receiver in that spot in addition to two running backs and three wide receivers. So um, I went, I, this is something I feel very strongly about, and I am not a good numbers guy, and so if I could figure this out, then anybody could. Look at, I will tell you, I'll tell you what I did. I had the seventh pick. I took Ray Rice with it. He's going to have a good year. Nice Will value. Jay, he has got... Ricky Williams is there, but all right. Ray, Ray Rice got to be the breakout guy this year. Um, Love the pick. And I came back with Michael Turner. Michael Turner was there. What space? What, what number would that be? Like sixteenth overall? That's kind of crazy that Michael Turner would still be there. I feel like. Um, and then everybody's battling it out for wide receivers and QBs and everything at that point. Damashek. Went running back again in the third round, late in the third round. Who did I get but Peyton Hillis? Huh. Here's the thing with Peyton Hillis. Everybody has decided, because everybody fancies themselves as, as a football insider at this point, everybody's so savvy about everything, you know. Well, we know about Earl Campbell, the Earl Campbell syndrome. These big backs, they wear out fast. Yeah, not that fast. He only <laughs> played one season. You know, he's, I mean, let's keep in mind, yes, in – I, and I bought into it, too. I was sort of like, yeah, Peyton Hillis was a flash in the pan. And yes, except for the fact that in 2013, I will agree with that. I realized, oh, yeah, he did only that one year, and he did wear out at the end of the year because all they did was pound him. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be a prick. He doesn't have to have a season as good as last year to be worth a third-round pick. So I would set it running back. I'm a little deficient at wide receiver. Took some uh, gambles there. But Brandon Marshall has had some spectacular seasons. And let's say he bounces back. I got Marcus Colston, A.J. Green, Pierre Garçon, and so on. So I think I'll be able to do that. I got Jermichael Finley. My QB is Josh Freeman. So um, so I feel uh, I feel very confident that the cool cats are going to be on the prowl in 2011. Dave, I'm picking seven this weekend as well, and I have six running backs I like. Rice is one of them. Who was the non-running back that was picked in the top seven? Well, it's funny, there were two actually chosen, which was crazy. Gil Brandt is in this league, the architect of those great Cowboys teams from, you know, 60s to the 80s. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a classic. He's, he might be a football expert, but clearly he is not a fantasy football expert. Uh, you know, I guess I can see the virtue in Michael Vick based on what he did last year, but I just, I do not believe in taking a QB. I love Aaron Rodgers. I've had him the last couple of years. In week four last year, I said, this is one of my prescient remarks that I made last year. One was picking the Chiefs to win the AFC West, which was pretty savvy. And then two, I said, by the end of the year, 
Aaron Rodgers will be the best quarterback in the NFL, and everyone will understand that. I guess I was a little wrong about that because people still continue to talk about Peyton Manning ahead of Aaron Rodgers, which makes no sense in the real world. <laughs> How anybody could think that is crazy. But either way, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFL. Only he, Ben Roethlisberger, and Michael Vick, among the elite QBs, can actually uh, function behind a subpar offensive line because they can run away from pressure. Let's see Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, or Drew Brees, or Phillip Rivers, or any of those guys do that. But anyway, um, Aaron Rodgers is great, as much as I love him, and as huge as he can be. Look at the difference between the best QB. Let's say it's Aaron Rodgers or Michael Vick. And Well, Michael Vick had such an extraordinary year last year, but still his numbers aren't that much better than, than what Aaron Rodgers did. But look at the best QB and then look at the 12th best QB, and you'll see it's not a very big drop-off. Right. If you're, is it a 10-team league you're in? Yeah. Yes. This weekend, this yes. Look this at the 10th quarterback. Look at the 10th QB that's going to be available to you. Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Matt Shaw, Maybe John Freeman. Freeman. Right. Those guys, those guys are going to, on average, if you, and I, like I say, I'm not good at math or anything, but if you project it out over a 13-week fantasy season, and you had Aaron Rodgers versus one of those guys, you would have about a five-point advantage week to week. And that's nice that you definitely wouldn't want to give those points away, but there are places where you can make up ground much more. Look at, the, look at running backs. One, or, or Arian Foster was so outlandish, so you almost have to take him out of the equation. But if you go like running back number two, which I think was Adrian Peterson, down to like number 12, and keep in mind, obviously, you need at least two running backs on right. your team. If you go down to, like, the 15th best or then the 25th best, it is such a massive drop-off. It is much more important to get at least one definite slam-dunk running back. So you got to go there. And what happened in my draft was Gil Brandt took Mike Vick and then somebody else, I can't remember who, in front of me took Aaron Rodgers. So I actually was left with a pick of a couple of guys that I wanted between Ray Rice and uh, I'm not sure who else. Michelle McCoy, uh, maybe? Uh, Shady McCoy, that's exactly who it was. Yeah. That's exactly who it was. And, uh, um, but, yeah, so to me, that's, that's what I say. Take a running back, and then in the second round, take another running back. It is a pass-first league. It's a QB league in the real NFL. Wide receivers are terribly important and everything. But in fantasy, until until – Proven otherwise, running back is where it's at. You got to get a good running back. Yeah, I'm with you. Got, in fact, you need two good running backs. Right, I'm with you. I usually wait until at least the fifth round for a quarterback and just hope he's like a Freeman like last year. I don't think you even have to wish for it. The only thing is, is if there's a skunk in your league who who is trying to be cute and starts taking a second quarterback, Backups, they're yeah. actually dooming themselves. They're really dooming themselves. To, if they're doing that, but still, they're they're kind of screwing you in the process by doing that. But uh, as long as everybody track how many QBs are off the board, and as you see, like, oh, well, eight guys already have QBs. Nobody, those guys aren't likely to take a QB. Wait on that, and and get even if it's in a two running back league, get a third good running back because the other things you can count on is that your running back's going to get hurt at some point for at least a game or two. That always happens in the NFL, that your running back is almost always going to sit out a game or two at some point during the season. I say running back, running back, running back. That's the key. Give us some late-round sleepers, some guys that people aren't talking about that you were trying to key when you had your draft 
the, uh, this morning. Was there some guys that you were looking for in the late round that are kind of under the radar? Uh, DeMarco Murray is uh, oh. the, the kid out of Oklahoma. Oklahoma, all-time so, leading touchdown. To, More touch- right. went, to, went, to, went to the Cowboys um, as a third-round pick. Felix Jones, I do not um, – I, I just do not believe in him as a feature back. He's, he, to me, he's a poor man's Reggie Bush. Everybody talks about – you know, the fact that he's a burner and Jerry Jones loves him and, you know, insisted on taking him out of uh, Arkansas a couple of years ago. I just don't think, you know, and I know Jamal Charles has a very similar body type to Felix Jones, but we just haven't seen it from Felix in, um, it, you know, since he got into the league. I just don't see him being a, a, a guy. And he is not a bad guy to have as a second running back, maybe Felix Jones, but I think they're pounder, the guy who, by the end of the season, it's going to be their every down back. Their their first down back on the field is, is going to be this DeMarco Murray. His problem is, uh, yeah, I talk about injuries, and that's the caveat is that he had a hard time staying healthy at Oklahoma. But if he does, um, he's going to be he's going to be a big breakout star for them. And another guy, it depends how deep your draft goes, is a is a big caveat. But a guy who I really think is going to be good in his rookie season is, is uh, John Baldwin with KC. Um, you know, they had Steve Breston. If you think about my comparison, it's the 98 Vikings that year that they had the exceptional offense with Randall Cunningham and Randy Moss was in his rookie season and Chris Carter and Jake Reed. I think that Chris Carter equals um, that uh, is Dwayne Bowe. Um, and think about what he did last year. They have a good tight end in Tony Moyaki. Um, Jamal Charles, I, to me, by the way, as a general thing, I think that the Chiefs' offense is so good that it's castle-proof. I don't know how that offense <laughs> can't be game-busters this year with all the weapons they have. Boyaki, Steve Breston's been productive in a passing offense with uh, with Arizona. But John Baldwin, the rookie, is the Randy Moss role. He's six foot five. He's big. He's a man. If you look how he's built, he's built like a man. He's not a slender rookie. He's a big guy who is that, you know, he's a downfield sort of guy like Randy Moss was with the big speed and, and like Plexico Burris, that you can just throw the ball up. Just all you have to say to him in his rookie season, he doesn't have to understand the nuances of, of, the, of an NFL offense. All John Baldwin has to understand is, hey, run down, run a straight line as fast as you can, and then we'll throw the ball to you and just lob it up. And I think he has a chance course of touchdowns. So I think he might be a good one to go grab. And um, I mentioned Tony Moliaki, which reminds me. I was That's another, same thing I just said about QB. Look at the tight ends in the NFL. Don't get crazy with Antonio Gates or Jermichael Finley or Jason Witten. If you look down at where you're, what's available at 9 or 10, you'll get enough there. Where the, the positions that, it, that, that there isn't just an infinite amount of depth, running back one, wide receiver two. How about some busts? Um, some busts. Uh, Arian Foster is scary to me. I think when a guy has that big a season, I think he's bound to be good. But I'm still, you know, to, to have another good season. If you think about guys like Priest Holmes and Marshall Falk, once they get going, there's a sort of like that three or four year window where there's just studs, uh, you know, with Damian Tomlinson and another one. But they, they, so a lot of changes there. They lose Vontae Leach his lead back 
So now they're going to be running a completely different sort from a, di- a completely different sort of offensive philosophy. So I don't know. And then Ben Tate, who was the guy who was going to be starting last year until Arian Foster had his breakout, is back. So he might steal some carries. I'm not sure. It's bust, relatively speaking. I don't know that he's going. You know, I don't think. I think he'll have a good. Um, uh, he's worth a first round pick, but I wouldn't take him before I took Adrian Peterson, uh, Chris Johnson, and and my. Again, relative sleeper is Jamal Charles. To me, if I had the first overall pick, I would take Jamal Charles before I would take anybody else. I think he's going to be the, the number one running back in, in football this year. You're not worried about the Chris Johnson holdout becoming a really long-term event? That would be difficult with me. I don't know. I mean, if he hasn't <laughs> signed by kickoff, then no. Then, yeah, I think it will be an issue. But if you're drafting you know, the week before the season starts, then no, he'll be fine. It's been proven over and over again. You don't need the, You don't need this training camp. It's a bunch of hooey and applesauce training camp. How many running backs or QBs have walked in? Brett Favre was, uh, was an old man last year. He walked in a week before the regular season. Started. Well, then again, he wasn't very good. It was terrible. So maybe that's the best. <laughs> that one. Cut that out. I want to cut out of the show. <laughs> so, oh boy. So, what about your team, the in Pennsylvania? There, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is this going to be a return to glory for them this season? How do you proshek them out as a regular football team? Where do you are you comfortable with them? You think that. Baltimore I, this year will get I their number? Been, I think they've been exposed is the problem. But with their, their defensive philosophy requires some changes, and I'm not the only one talking about that. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that Tom Brady provided the template. In fact, I, I said that for a few years now. What is it that is inherent in Tom Brady that makes it so that he can pick that, uh, that defense apart? And obviously – a mediocre QB can't do what Tom Brady can do. But if you're, you know, Peyton Manning never really did it, but if you're a, a QB of a certain pedigree, it seems like the Patriots provided the uh, provided the template to defeat that Steeler defense. I mean, and, and then you saw Aaron Rodgers play to that exactly. And I said that before the Super Bowl was played last year that the Packers were going to win that game, and I thought they would win it by double digits, actually, and it looked like they were going to run away with the game at one point. Um, and their secondary, the individuals in their secondary are great in coverage, so if you can isolate those guys, that and when you spread them out, you negate the pass rush. They can't do what they like to do with the, uh, the, the, uh, the blitzes and you don't know where they're coming from because you have to spread those linebackers into coverage, so when you do that, and then beyond that, you'll start isolating their lesser corners in coverage, and Troy Palomalu into coverage, then you can you can pick them apart all day. You don't have much of a pass. The, the Steelers are all about getting a pass rush and keeping their their, their corners are physical to push the, the receivers around, but when the pass rush isn't there, then the QB can just stand back there and destroy them, and that's what Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers did last year when they when they when they played them. So I'm worried about that, but I'm pessimistic. I always don't know how the Steelers are going to win games, and then there they are in the playoffs every year, and they get to the Super Bowl. It seems like just about every other year. And Roethlisberger continues to be underrated, relatively speaking. He's to me, he's the second or third best quarterback. I think you put. I I, I think I would go Aaron Rodgers one, 
probably Tom Brady two, and then Roethlisberger um, number three. But so he's underrated. They have some nice weapons there, but it's kind of a bummer that I can't really like some of these Steelers. It's hard to root for Rashard Mendenhall now. You know, right. James Harrison seems like a lunatic. It's hard to really get behind them. You know, I know that it's all about how uh, you root for the uniform and everything else, but I, you know, I, I'm spoiled. As uh, you know, we have our six championships. I'm sure you and Buffalo. One of the two of you likes the Bills, right? Yeah, we have our four consolation prizes. Yeah, see, you would do anything. <laughs> you would take. You would take. You would take uh, an entire. You would take cell block C from uh, you know from the worst. Or, you know from Alcatraz if it gave you a Super Bowl. Absolutely, uh, if they could play linebacker. Yeah, see, I, I just to me, I, I don't like it. I, I want. I want. Uh, some decent guys on the team. It's hard to cheer for some of these guys on the Steelers at this point. But, um, but yeah, you know, Mendenhall, if he stops fumbling the ball, I still contend that the Steelers win that Super Bowl if he didn't fumble in the fourth, first play of the fourth quarter. The Steelers are on the move. They were pounding the Packers on the ground there. The Packers couldn't do anything about it. Um, and the line should be better finally this year, a little bit better. Um, you know, it's been a deficient offensive line. It hasn't been mediocre. It's been one of the five worst offensive lines in the NFL for the last three years now. Um, and it should be a little bit better if they can stay healthy. And, you know, the other thing is I'm glad they, they kept Lamar Woodley around, who's dominant. But be on the lookout for their inside linebacker, Lawrence Timmons, who was drafted the same year as Woodley, who has had some trouble learning the offense, apparently, and he's been hurt a little bit. But, man, he's dynamite. Watch him play this year. He's going to be their breakout star, I predict. The Sportscaster's here with Dave Damashek. He's at Damashek on Twitter from the NationalFootballLeague.com, NFL.com. He's got his podcast over there. He's going to be debuting a blog. He's going to be with us on Sunday mornings for – fantasy football predictions. So before I let you go, one thing that we do on the show weekly and we fail at it usually is we try to make a bold prediction. So I'm wondering if you could make a bold prediction for the upcoming NFL season for us. A bold prediction, you say. First of all, let me say this to you before, before uh, because we said the bills. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say how pleased I am with those Buffalo Bills uniforms. I mean, thank goodness. Are those a thing of beauty or a, what? Yeah, they look good. Step up. They look good. Huge step up. They're glorious. They're got, you know, you guys have really done banner work over the last couple of years. The Sabres righted that wrong, and they went back to the old uniforms, although they still need that, the, the gold stripe socks going all the way up uh, the lake. But all right, listen, uh, I don't want to split hairs there. And the Bills, though. Just gangbusters uniforms, but um, so kudos on that to you. Um, doesn't mean anything's going to happen for the team. No. Uh, good, but um, but you know, by the way, shouldn't they have taken Von Miller? Wouldn't you have been happier as a Bills fan? You can just tell that that guy's going to be no matter what else. He'll just be a fun guy to watch. Yeah, yeah, a lot of sacks over the next decade, right? Wouldn't you rather add him than Marcel Darius, even if? Darius is a great interior lineman. It would just be much more exciting as a fan to be watching Von Miller from day one. Well, right? They didn't have the choice, first of all. I mean, Miller was. Oh, was he gone already? Right? Yeah, yeah, Miller was, was the, the second, second pick. pick. But Darius looked, and I know it's only preseason, and the Chicago Bears offensive line isn't great, but Darius looked really good. So I got my fingers crossed, Dave. We don't normally uh, do the right thing with first round picks, so. He looks oh, good. Oh, that's all I got that. So Von Miller went two and Darius three. Oh, I right, thought it was right. the other way around. Okay. 
Um, so scratch that. Cut that out of the podcast. Will do. Uh, <laughs> uh, bold prediction. Um, is it bold if I say the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the uh, win their division again? That was bold. That counted as bold last year. Yeah, it's boldish. Boldish. You know, it's like in the ballpark. Bold-ish, of bold. Nothing. That's bold. Everybody's taking the. So that means the they're going to be that Denver. Oh, the Raiders are Oakland. going to the playoffs this year. The Chiefs are going to win that division again. Bold prediction. Uh, the I like that. The Eagles are uh, are not a bold prediction to say anything about them. How about this? The Eagles won't go sixteen and up. <laughs> that is bold. We oh have, my God! They're they're going to lose to somebody with that dream team. Let me tell you something. That's what we need to do. That's how you get back. You're in Buffalo. You're close enough to Philadelphia. You're in the general region there. This is what you have to do. This is the way you get the goat of. Uh, of uh, it's the same thing as when the Patriots got Randy Moss. All, what we have to perpetuate it. The no, it's the same, or, or if you know Yankees and Red Sox fans, same thing. Just all you have to push is if you don't win at all, this is a terrible year for you. Same thing with the Eagles. If you don't go sixteen and zero, then it's a disappointment. Like no, I just want the Super Bowl. No, no, no. You're a dream team. You're the dream team. You have to win every game you play, or it's, a, it's an abject disappointment. And then you set that up in their mind, and then they'll have no pleasure even if they do win the Super Bowl. They'll, 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 they won't be able to derive very much pleasure from it. This is the thing that we must push, to take to take a little joy out of everyone else's heart and make ourselves feel better about it. You understand? That's how, that's how I've made it through all these years on the, on the face of the earth. So how long have you been sitting in your driveway talking to us in your car? Uh, pretty much, uh, you know, 20 minutes, something like that. <laughs> You're the man, Dave. Thanks a lot, Dave. We'll talk to you soon, bud. A pleasure, fellas. And, uh, and wait, wait, I just want to know this, because you do these separate, you, you record these things separately. Did you have other guests on this show? We have one other guest who will appear after Coming you. Coming up, or you already did it? We already did it. We already recorded it, but he'll be, he'll be second in the lineup to you. His yeah, name. That's, I, I, you know, I love that feeling. Who, I, I, you know what? I hope it's, who is it? Is it like uh, Jim Kelly or somebody like that? <laughs> it's actually it Gilbert Perot. Wayne Gretzky. I hope it's Perot, but I got the, I got the, uh, I got the first, uh, I was the first guest. It's the executive producer of the Dan Patrick Show, Todd Fritz. All right, well, that's good, but what, what, I feel so powerful. So I, so even though you recorded that one first, I come. My name, my interview will show up on the on the podcast first. Absolutely, yes. you're breaking down all sorts of walls uh, here. I'm swooning. I feel so powerful. <laughs> I got juice. I love it. The great Thanks, Dave Damashak. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Don. Yeah, yeah. Sounds a lot like Pearl Jam. It still does, yes. So the backstory there is we've been twisting Don's arm to try to create a little production similar to the great work that he did when creating the production for Three Things. We've been looking for something similar to go with our new segment that we've been working on the last few weeks here called Five on Fantasy. I believe this is... Episode number four of Five on Fantasy. Yeah, I forgot to record the voiceovers last week. I made myself a note. So after the, the podcast is done, I'll record a couple voiceovers and hopefully have some production next week. So the last few weeks, as part of Five on Fantasy, we've been running down my list of my top ten players at the three top spots. The very first time, 
or second time of Five on Fantasy, we did wide receivers. Last week, we did quarterbacks. Today, my top 10 running backs. Here they are. Number 10. I think this is a guy that I'm the most high on of anyone I've seen, and that's Darren McFadden. I think he had a huge bounce back year last year. Well, his first really productive year in the league at all, he finally shook off some of the toe injuries that had limited him in his first couple seasons. But this guy's an incredible talent. I watched a game when he was in college where he single-handedly destroyed LSU, who ended up winning the national championship that year. And I can't get that game out of my head. And I just think that regardless of how things have gone in the past, Darren McFadden is due for some really great things. Number nine, I have Frank Gore. Uh, Jay Clemens was on the show with us last week talking fantasy football. And that was one of his stayaways. He was a little bit worried of, about Frank Gore. But it was more of a gut feeling on his part than anything that is based on football. So I still am behind Frank Gore, especially in a PPR league. He is targeted out of the backfield quite a bit. It will be sh- interesting to see. This is a guy who I think when, when it goes, it's going to go real fast all at once. He had two knee injuries at Miami before he even reached the NFL. And I think he's had at least one ACL or one serious energy injury in the NFL. So I think he's a guy who could go, go all at once. But I'd be, I'd, be, uh, I'd be safe picking him this year. My number eight is Richard Mendenhall. He's a guy that I would, you, you almost expect him to get the ball more than he does just because he plays for the Steelers. But the Steelers really do throw the ball a lot more than they have traditionally. But Mendenhall still is a great talent worthy of being number eight. Number seven is a guy who slipped quite a bit between last year and this year, and that's Maurice Jones-Drew. A lot of people are just scared um, of his injury potential, and Rashard Jennings has been drafted higher and higher. Jay Clemens said no later than seventh round wow. for, for him, uh, just as a, maybe a handcuff of Jones-Drew. Even if you don't have Jones-Drew, he I don't that know. High. I think we were talking more in terms of, of handcuffs. handcuffs. You have to have And him, I right. think of all the top ten running backs, other than maybe the guy I'm going to mention at number five, he is the guy you want to handcuff for sure. Right. My number six is LaShawn McCoy. I almost like him more than that. And I guess that's, uh, that's kind of a – I think that from here, from six on, I think I'd take any of them. This would probably be – This is, I think, the big six here. standard scoring, you're saying, right? Like McCoy might be a little bit higher for he you. He might or be a spot or two higher right. in PPR. I think I made the list with standard scoring in mind or maybe just fantasy football in general. Uh, kind of guessing what percentage of leagues would be standard and what percentage would be PPR and then making the list accordingly. So I have McCoy at number six. I have Chris Johnson at number five. Chris Johnson has been number two or three mostly, but I'm really scared of this holdout because he has passed the date where it matters for accrual towards his free agency status. Right. So that means he's serious. He's not joking around, and I think that that could linger on quite a bit. I think he could miss games. And if I had a draft this weekend like we do, I'd be really scared to pick him. So if I do draft him, I want to handcuff him with somebody. Yeah, who, or I, I want to make sure maybe if I draft him, I'm more likely to draft a running back again three in the running second backs, round yeah. or draft three in the first four rounds. Just I'd be really – I'm really – I've never been more scared about the number five overall player in my entire life. Number four is Ray Rice. Number three is Jamal Charles. Both of those guys getting a little bit of a bump up. 
And I almost bumped LaShawn McCoy over Johnson, but I, it's just so hard. It's so hard to put Johnson anywhere. But I love Rice. I think Williams is going to take away a little bit from him, but he still gets a lot of targets. He still catches passes out of the backfield. He still has a lot of touches, which is big. You can't predict touchdowns, uh, right. but you can predict you can predict to some extent touches. I can't think of the He's name, but he got a nice fullback in front of him now too. Yeah, the guy that was the fullback for my number two running back last year. So number three is Jamal Charles. Number two is Arian Foster. Number one is Adrian Peterson. I think number one and two are, are pretty much a consensus at this point. Foster's a little banged up. I don't think it's anything serious. I think if you were drafting this week, Peterson would go one, Foster would go two. I think Charles, Rice, Johnson, and McCoy are maybe a small step below that. And then below that, I would have the Jones, Drew, Mendenhall, Gore, and McFadden. Just outside the top ten, I wouldn't mind having, I guess, Turner. I think I like Steven Jackson maybe a little bit more than Turner. Um, but those are probably the next couple guys. Yeah, so how, how did I do compared to ESPN? Um, it's pretty similar. Uh, they had McFadden at 12, so included in theirs was Turner. And uh, Gore, Mendenhall were the same. MJD, they hit all the way up at 5, but... This hasn't been updated since the 10th, so I don't know how much that would change. Um, they have Johnson still at three. You have him at five. That would almost you'd think that would have to change as he holds out longer. Yeah, uh, it's. I would never draft him at three. I, I like I you said. I'd do it. I'd be nervous to do it too. I picked seven this week in our draft, and I would have to draft him there. Yep. But. I would still be a little bit nervous about it. I mean, but there just there's too much value there not to. My first fantasy thing this week actually has to do with one of the running backs, and that's MJD. And I'm very leery about drafting him even at that number seven spot because I figure he'd be a type of guy that would be around. I might be worried about drafting him in my with my second round pick, which would be like the thirteenth overall pick. Are people, what scares you so much about I'm it? not sure. Okay. You know what I mean? It's almost like just listening to the talking heads and the fantasy gurus and stuff like that a little bit too much maybe. I know he's coming off an injury, but he doesn't really have – he's been banged up in the past, but if you look at the amount of games played, he's never missed more than a game or two in a season. I don't think you're necessarily crazy to not want to draft him at seven, but I think you're crazy to not want, want to draft him at 13. Him at and uh, – he came out publicly and was mad at all the fantasy gurus. I wonder, is the hate getting a little bit too far from uh, Yeah, it, it might be. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, ESPN still has him at five, which to me, there's no, no chance I would take him there. There's six running backs I really like where I, wouldn't, I happen to be picking seven, so I'm hoping one of them falls to me. He's not one of so them. So your dislike with Jones Drew is similar to Jay Clemens' dislike of Frank Gore, where it's more of just a gut thing? I think it's along the same lines, though. Both are coming off injury-ended seasons. And uh, I don't love Gore either. Gore, man, they they beat him down. He was really good at the beginning of the last season, or was it two seasons ago? I think it was last season. Last season, it was great to start. They yeah. gave him tons and tons of work, and he just wore down and then eventually got injured. And he's a great talent. He's got some amount of breakaway speed. He's big enough to fight through tackles. He's a fun guy to watch play. It just seems like 
it both seem like a little bit of like ticking time bombs. Like you're you're really taking a chance. Whereas I think they're both both more explosive than someone like Mendenhall. But I think Mendenhall is kind of a steady Eddie where you know what you're going to get from him every time. You might not get those huge 25, 30 point games, but you're probably good for 15 a game for Mendenhall. Maurice Jones Drew had 299 attempts last year for 1,324 yards. He had five TDs. He also had two receiving TDs, I think. Two receiving TDs. I don't see I I think I averaged it out. I mean, the touchdowns are definitely down for him. I mean, six in a year, that's, that's low. But he was averaging about 90 yards a game on the ground, about 20 in the air. I mean, if you're going to get 110 all-purpose yards from a guy every game, that's that's top five, top maybe even higher talent. It's just he's... Gore, before his injury, had 203 carries for 853 yards. He's averaging 4.2 yards a carry. That's a bad team, too. That's another thing. Both of those guys are on bad teams where... Jones Drew is at 4.4 yards a carry. Yeah. I mean, his numbers are good. It's just a guy that, like you said, maybe... The hate is a little bit too far for him, but I'd be nervous with him even in my second-round pick. All right, my running back sleepers. i got a couple of sleepers and then a couple of deep sleepers. My first sleeper is Sean Green. I think that the Jets are going to, even more than they did last year, protect LaDainian Tomlinson for the second half to the playoff run of the season. I think Sean Green is a guy I'm going to be really excited about the first eight or so weeks of the year. So I think the Jets are really going to limit the work that LaDainian Tomlinson has. Sean Green was great for the Jets in the playoffs last year. I can actually pull up his postseason numbers here as well. But I really, really like Sean Green this year. I'm really happy if he's my number two. Do you want to know who's getting drafted around him? I mean, you sure. c- I don't know where his ADP is, but he's the 27th on ESPN. 27th running back. So if he's your, it would be easy for you to get him as your number two if you sought out to do it. There's guys like Fred Jackson of the Bills. Definitely like Green much more than him. Um, Cedric Benson of Cincinnati. I like Green more than Cedric Benson. Ryan Grant. Green. Felix Jones. Green. Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis. Green. Javid Best. Uh, Ty Push. LeGarrette Blunt. Blunt's my second sleeper. Yeah, I like Blunt a lot, too. I like too. Blunt a lot, too. I think Blunt is a guy. Okay, so Sean Green, I say he's a sleeper because he's being drafted around third running back. Right? Yes, he's the 27th back. back right, and I think he can be a number two running back. That's why I put him as a sleeper. LeGarrette Blunt is being drafted as a number two running back. I think he could ultimately give you top ten running back production. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of these older running backs that we're talking about Steven Jackson, Frank Gore, if as they drop out of the top 10 next year, that LeGarrette Blunt is a guy that kind of moves up into that spot. Yeah. So LeGarrette Blunt is my second sleeper. My two deep sleepers, one is someone that we mentioned, Richard Jennings. Mentioned him just because he might be a guy you might want to pick up. If he's there around the ninth or 10th round, the Maurice Jones-Drew owner has been kind of pushing it off. <laughs> might be a good guy to stow away on the bench. One, he might be good trade bait for the guy who does draft Marine Jones-Drew. And if Marine Jones-Drew ends up having a really terrible season, Richard Jennings sh- should be the guy to pick up those pieces. He's currently in ESPN Live Drafts going with the 144th pick. 
So, and he's the 53rd running back off the board behind guys like Darren Sproles, Marion Barber, Ronnie Brown, Danny Woodhead. So he's a deep sleeper. Yeah. So he's I mean, not, he's not a starter. Right. He'd be a guy he's to be had. He's not someone you want to be your first backup. Right. It's not anyone you're going to play as a flex. He's a stowaway, late round pick to screw over the guy who picked Maurice Jones Drew. Or to protect yourself if you draft a Maurice Jones-Drew. Now, when I gave you Sean Green's uh, comparables, I was giving you the way ESPN rated him. The way they're actually in their ADPs, their average draft position right now, Mark Ingram is going barely ahead of him. I like definitely like Sean Green better than Mark, Mark Ingram. Ingram. Just too many backs in New Orleans? Not that there's too many. It's just that I think Sean Green would be more equal to Pierre Thomas and in terms of workload. I, I think that... Mark Ingram is going to be second on the team in workload at the running back position. What about Jonathan Stewart? Are people writing him off too much? Or Probably. But D'Angelo Williams is the more talented of the two. And right. He's healthy in there. And you'd rather have Stewart than Green? No. Because Stewart's going about 10 picks ahead. So, I mean, if you're right, there's a lot of value to be had in Green. He's going in about the early seventh round. And you can get him over guys like... I'm putting myself out there with Green. I, I think he will be a very good... Number two, start him every week. And if you can get this guy as your flex, I'm doing a backflip. If I have two running backs better than him and I'm starting him as my flex every week, I'm really comfortable with that. And I'm going to hate on the Bills here a little bit, but the Jets have run for something like 400 yards against the Bills in the last two games. And obviously the Bills' defense should be better this year with the addition of Darius, but the Jets do play the Bills twice a year, so you get Sean Green in potentially huge games twice a year. Sean Green had 45 attempts in the playoffs last season. He had 198 yards. That's 4.4 yards a carry. He had a TD. He also had was average, that's about a 66 yards. His issue was fumbles, right? Didn't that kind of get him in trouble early in the season last year? Well, he had no fumbles in the playoffs, and in the regular season last year – when he was the 26th best, he had two fumbles. Two. So maybe they both came early or something, but he, he never really got a chance at the beginning of last season. My Wait, one more sleeper. Oh, sorry. One more deep sleeper. It's Deion Carter. He's a fourth-round pick of the Indianapolis Colts. I think his name's Delone, right? Delone, I'm sorry. Right. Yes, you're right. I was reading it wrong. I read my L's and I. Delone Carter, he's fourth-round pick from Syracuse. He's up in Indianapolis, and Indianapolis will play anyone, it seems like, sometimes. Yeah, that job seems to be anyone's for the taking. He's a deep sleeper. He, he's, he's not anyone you're going to maybe even draft yet. He's just a guy to keep an eye on. I think that Brown sucks. Yeah, he's kind of proven that. I think he's had his chances, and it's just not going to work out for Donald Brown. I think Adai is still the guy there for now. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a die get injured. Let's say, let's say, Joseph Adai played the first four weeks as the starter, got injured in week five. I wouldn't be shocked if Delone Carter gets the most carries in week six. No, I wouldn't either. And there's a ton of value. I mean, anyone on that offense has a ton of value. Um, Delone Carter is currently going one seventieth on ESPN, which I think means undrafted. Yep, seventeenth. That's about seventeenth round or undrafted, but. I think that's I'm, right. I think I'm definitely drafting him over Donald Brown, like without a doubt. If, if I'm taking a flyer on someone, that's the type of guy you pick with upside in mind. And we have a league where you play seven players and you have a seven man bench. There's no kicker or defense. Right. As you get to that seventh round, there's so many position players gone. If you're in a league like that, 
if you're in a 12 or even a 14 team league, as you get to the later rounds, you're just drafting for upside, right? Absolutely. Stowaway upside. This is a guy who could fit that bill. You might not, if you're in a 10 team league with two running backs, you might not draft him this week or next week. But keep an eye on him, watch his progress. He could be a guy that really steps up later in the season and is even in a starter role on one of the best offenses in the league. All right, my second thing this week, two guys I will not own. Uh, both share the name Steve Smith. The Carolina Steve Smith is already banged up. I don't expect him to miss any games, but he might not play in the preseason. Uh, combining that with his all-around kind of bad attitude last year, his injury history, the rookie quarterback that he's not – I'm assuming he's not working with right now because he's hurt. Uh, it just spells disaster. I always I, hated him. I wouldn't say he's undraftable, but I don't think I'll have him on any of my teams. And the other Steve Johnson – or okay. Steve Smith, sorry, is uh, – is in Philly right now. And by the way, Steve Smith from Carolina is currently going in the late ninth, early 10th round. That's when you're picking like... Who are some guys around him? Santana Moss. I'd Pierre, rather have Moss. Pierre Garçon. I'd rather have Garçon. Sidney Rice. Ugh. Well, that's a little bit higher. That's about a 10 picks before him, but like 15 picks before is Austin Collie. But, I mean, Austin Collie and above are guys you'd much rather have. Uh, guys below him, A.J. Green. In Cincinnati, that might be probably a, rather have the upside. That might be a tire fire of a team, but yeah. AJ, AJ Green is like the only weapon they have. Julio Jones, uh, Malcolm Floyd in San Diego. I think when you're picking Steve Smith, you're hoping for some level of consistency. You're, but I think when you're picking him, there's some guys around him who are going to have more upside potential, and that's what I like to look for when I'm drafting in the tenth round. Which Steve Smith would you rather have? Probably rather have Steve Smith from Philadelphia only Even though he's going to miss, it sounds like, weeks. He's going to miss some games. But the offense is better. Macklin has some injuries. That's scary. Concerns. Macklin's got, like, mono or something. Yeah, I'm Strange. worried about mono, or worried about uh, Macklin as well. Uh, yeah, I guess, like you said, I don't want either of them. Right. If you're going to put a gun to my head, I'd probably have the guy at Philadelphia. I guess Steve Smith of Philly, is he's being drafted about 145th, so the 15th round. Um I hear the news out of Philly is slightly better than they expected, so maybe it's not like an eight-week Does thing. Does he end up on PUP is the question. To begin the season? Yeah. I would guess so. Still. So that means six games out. I would, yeah, I would guess so. Yeah. So if he ends up on PUP and he's out six games minimum, I guess I'd rather draft the other Steve Smith. Right. But if he avoids PUP and they're going to go week to week with him and he might be able to come around after the first month of the season, then maybe I'd rather have him. Would you rather have Randy Moss than either of them? Just take a. F- Do you I think did, Randy Moss a, gets drafted this weekend in our draft? I did a mock draft the other night. It was a 12 team league, and I drafted Randy Moss in the very last round. He was available for me in a 12 team league to be selected in the very last round. What about Terrell Owens? Trollins was not drafted. Not drafted. Yeah. That's about where he's going. Randy Moss is going in basically the fifteenth round, but right behind Steve Smith of Philly. So it's it's interesting. But yeah, I don't. I'd be. I play in four leagues, and I don't think I'll own either Steve Smith in either league. All right. For the last thing today, the kind of little debate that Don and I usually have, where we'll put one thing against another in fantasy football. I actually wrote a blog this week, and I guess this is a chance for us to promote our blog. Well carrying our segment here, thesportscasters.blogspot.com. I wrote a little bit about fantasy football web hosts and whether or not you should pay to play or play for free. 
What I mean is there are tons of options out there for you to host the Fantasy Football League. You can play at ESPN. You can play at CBS. You can play at Fox. You can play at NFL.com. You can play at SportsIllustrated.com, which is having a Facebook game. You can pay for sites like My Fantasy League. You can pay for – there's some other pay sites out there. Uh, Fanball is gone, but they have a replacement that you could play, and I actually might end up being the league in there. Yahoo has game. So, Don, if you were starting a league right now, where would you take the web? Where would you take your website business? The league we're drafting this weekend, um, I've said it before, it was kind of a league that we that you started just because you wanted to start another league, just kind of more casual and for fun. And over the last season, it was two seasons. I think it's become my favorite league because it's kind of different. Uh, we have different lineup type things where you can start two quarterbacks at the sacrifice of another position. Two two other positions, actually, so it's like a two-for-one thing with quarterbacks. Anyway, the point being, if you have that type of league, you have to pay for something. Right. The more complicated your league is, the more you're going to want to pay site. Because even though ESPN, and we'll use them for an example, they say that they're fully customizable, but they're not. Not at all. They're right. fully customizable in the sense that they have set parameters within their that games that you can that change. You can change. Right. So it's customizable that way. But a good example that I always use is if you give bonuses for rushing yards, the only two bonuses you can set are from 100 to 199 and 200 above. So there's no middle ground there. Right. If you wanted to give one for 150, there's nothing Right. There's there. nothing. Or if you didn't want to give for 100 and you wanted to make it a little bit more difficult to earn the bonus points, you can't. So ESPN is saying to me scoring is fully customizable. But right there, I thought of a rule that I can't customize. Right. Because in both of our leagues, I don't think we start giving points until 125. Right. And like, like we said, it's, if you want fully customizable, chances are your league's going to be more of the unique variety. The one benefit I would say, and it's not even so much of doing a site like ESPN, but just of having a more vanilla league, is all the resources online that talk about players and projections and stuff typically use the same scoring. So if your league has vastly different scoring, sometimes it might be hard to gauge a certain site's projections based on how it would work out in your league. But other than that, I, I think the pay leagues are where it's at if you want to have a little bit more fun and uh, variety with your league. If you refuse to pay, if this is just something you do not think is worth paying for, ESPN is a great option. Right. They do really do do a great job. If you first of all, if you want to have a draft online, it's perfect. It works really well. It's perfect. And another thing I've mentioned to people, those drafts are free. So if you wanted to have your draft online and use ESPN or Yahoo or someone that has online, you could still use a pay site ultimately. Yeah, I, I've suggested that too. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's a possibility if your pay site doesn't offer a live drafting. Although ours does. We use MyFantasyLeague.com quite a bit, and we love it. It's, it. Talk about fully customizable. There's millions of options on right. this website. And if the option isn't there, they're available for email, and usually work with you to add an option. Uh, one thing, I've been getting a little cocky and about my abilities as a fantasy owner. And CBS Sports has some really cool games that you can join that are pricey. Like, you can play in a $400 league on C- CBS Sports. Really? Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, maybe... With the prize being what? 3500 total cash. They do give cash. team league. Now, the reason fantasy can get away with giving cash is because it's considered a game of skill, not a game of luck, right? I believe, yeah. Yeah, that's strange. 
Uh, let's go to. I'm gonna go to CBSSports.com because I was looking at this when I was putting the website together, and I was really impressed by the high-end games that they have. And they had three options that you could join. And all of a sudden, our internet is stalled to a crawl here. <laughs> uh, but CBS has some really cool games. I suggest you check them out. But the but the best thing is a lot of these sites you can set up your league for free. You can get a feel of it. Doesn't cost you anything. ESPN, you can have ten leagues for free before you have to pay for a team so there's a lot of flexibility there i would say i like my fantasy league the best for pay sites and i would give espn the nod for free sites anything else you want to add no that sounds good all right so we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with todd fritz from the dan patrick show Our next guest is from Brooklyn, New York, and is a graduate of New York University. He has worked in radio for WFAN in New York, KMPC in Los Angeles, ESPN, and on Los Angeles Rams radio broadcasts. Today, he is a member of the Danettes, working as the executive producer on the world-famous Dan Patrick Show. He is the occasional host of the Dan Patrick wrap-up show called The Box Score. Like the DP show, the box score will soon be simulcast on DirecTV Channel 101. He is the biggest Hall & Oates fan to ever appear on the program. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the great Todd Fritz. How are you doing today, Todd? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on the show. I've been looking forward to it, and uh, I think it's much better than uh, leading in with uh, private eyes, Hall & Oates. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, like I was telling you off the top, we usually like to... Uh, bring our, our guests into their alma mater fight song, kind of get them pumped up. But I, I couldn't find anything good for NYU. But, you know, hey, a Hall & Oates works for us as well. It works fine. I appreciate the, uh, the research and trying to find something. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't begin to tell you where to start for an NYU violence fight song. I didn't uh, go to one of those uh, Ohio State or Michigan kind of schools that have the fun fight song. So uh, Hall & Oates uh, is a good way to start. Yeah, you know, the only thing I could find, which is kind of funny, was... Uh, a 19 or 20 year old looking girl with about five other girls in her dorm room. None of them pretty. <laughs> none of them pretty. Sitting around talking about how the second verse in the alma mater is depressing. But I couldn't actually <laughs> find it performed anywhere. So that's where no, we're I, at. I, I, yeah, I appreciate the effort. I'll take all notes over uh, any type of uh, song about uh, about NYU. I don't. I don't know what exists uh, that uh, can't can't match that whole John Oates. I know that. <laughs> So, this, the origin of this interview kind of started a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago. I had read an interview by Andrew Pirloff, uh, a colleague of yours, about Kevin Cobb, and it kind of interested me, and I thought, you know, we should try to get him on, on the show. And I, it didn't really click right away, because I, I, I'm a fan of the Dan Patrick show, but I just knew him so well as McLovin. And I right. didn't make the connection, really, that this guy I wanted to hook up with, Andrew Pirloff, was actually McLovin, this character on a really great radio show. So uh-huh. An- Andrew came on. We had a great time. And we kind of got into a little back and forth on Twitter. And I asked the fans that came over 
onto my Twitter from his who the next guy in the Danettes I should have on the show. And it was virtually unanimous that it should be Fritzy. Wow, that's, so, uh, that's pretty flattering. I'm glad, I, I, again, I, uh, I appreciate uh, you guys reaching out, and uh, it's uh, thoughtful, and it means a lot to me that, uh, that you guys want to have me on and uh, that everybody was interested in uh, hearing what I have to say. So uh, uh, that's, uh, that's great. I'm in the car right now heading to uh, my uh, kids' uh, parents' camp day, and uh, can't think of a better way to spend my time driving up to, uh, to the campers than to uh, hang out with you guys for a little bit. All right. Well, I definitely want to talk about footballs with you. I want to talk a little bit. You're a big Broncos fan, so I, want to, I don't want to let that pass. I want to talk about that in a minute. But why don't we start off with when I was doing research for the interview and kind of putting the pieces together of your career, one thing that really jumped out to me is the fact that you've been able to work in the top two markets in the country, but they're so different. You've worked for WFAN in New York, and you've worked for KMPC in Los Angeles. And I guess my first question to just kind of get us started off is, What's the big differences in working on the East Coast in New York City, where you're from, and probably have a really good background and understand how New York works, how New York sports talk radio works, and then working in Los Angeles and being on the left coast and having a totally different attitude towards sports in general? No, that's a great question. It's, uh, it was definitely a bit of a culture shock. There's passionate fans on both sides, but I've, I've been lucky enough, I, when I was a junior at NYU, uh, I started uh, as an intern at WFAN, and, you know, that was a very intense place. And as you can imagine, the New York sports fan is uh, very uh, knowledgeable. Not that the L.A. sports fans aren't, but uh, you know, L.A. sometimes gets a bad rap. That, you know, they come late to games, and they leave early, and things of that nature. And I did see some of that, but, you know, that, I think that goes on everywhere. But when I was in the newsroom in New York versus the newsroom when we started this all-sports radio station in L.A. at KMPC, it didn't have the same kind of feel, the hustle and bustle and the intensity of what I experienced in the story of Queens at WFAN with Mets, Jets, Knicks, Rangers, and everything else we were uncovering was a little bit different than you know, the Lakers and Clippers and uh, Dodgers and Angels and Rams and Raiders at the time when they had two uh, L.A. teams uh, as far as the National Football League. So that's what stood out to me the most. But uh, once, I, once I got there and hopefully I rubbed off on some of my fellow producers and hosts in L.A., they realized that if this was going to succeed, you know, we kind of have to pick up the intensity a little bit and, you know, really make sure we show that passion on the air. And not that we have to compare ourselves to be like New York, but you know, there's plenty of L.A. sports fans that are really knowledgeable into their sports. And I just thought that was lacking, just experiencing one newsroom on, uh, on the East Coast versus the West Coast. Now, not only having that East Coast versus West Coast experience, you also have the unique experience of being stuck in the middle, and that's working in a national broadcast. And the Dan Patrick Show is a great example of that, and of course, the work that you did for ESPN. So let's talk a little bit about how then is it different or the same to work on a national show where you're trying to cover both coasts equally? Yeah, that's, uh, that's tricky, and that took me some time to get used to because what's uh, important to someone on a local level could be uh, relatively boring or uninteresting on a national level and vice versa. So I, I had to get acclimated to the fact when you're just dealing with New York sports or just dealing with the L.A. teams to uh, cater towards the, uh, the local markets. Once now, all of a sudden, I'm working on Up Close on ESPN with, you know, with Boyd Firestone, which then became Up Close with Chris Myers and Gary Miller was hosting, working with Jim Rome on Talk 2 on ESPN2, and then, you know, again with Dan... Uh, with Dan Patrick, ESPN Radio, Sports Center, all these different national shows. 
it really uh, makes you, uh, it challenges you to make sure that you're up on everything and what are the stories that need to be covered that are of interest to everyone, not just someone that lives in uh, Beverly Hills or Orange County or Staten Island or Manhattan or the Bronx. So that was, uh, that took me some time to get used to, being able to broaden the horizon and make sure that we're covering everything that covers uh, our total audience, not just specific pockets of groups in particular regions. Did you grow up as a big fan of the Mike and the Mad Dog radio show? Are they, is that show, is that, yeah, is that, yeah, what, is that a big influence? Yeah, I started, uh, I listened to FAN a lot growing up in, uh, in Brooklyn. I was a big, you know, fan of the fan, and I missed it, Mike and the Mad Dog, and, uh, and all of those guys. There was Ed Coleman and Dave Sims were doing the Midday Show. Um, there was just, uh, you know, it was something about that station that, uh, you know, excited me as a kid. I was always into sports, and I thought I might want to get into sports broadcasting. And when an opportunity presented itself to apply for an internship and then get that internship, um, it was just great. And I spent a lot of uh, overnights on the train going from Brooklyn to Queens all hours of the day and night for, uh, you know, for no money, basically, just paying my way to uh, just have the opportunity to be surrounded by some very talented producers and hosts. And, you know, it's one thing to listen to it on the radio in your room, your apartment building in Brooklyn, and all of a sudden you're there, right, uh, you know, working with these people and right in the middle of the action. You know, I'll never forget that that was my start in uh, Let's talk a little bit about the Dan Patrick Show. That's, of course, what you're doing right now, and arguably maybe the most successful thing you've been a part of, maybe that you would consider something else, but uh, certainly one of the biggest radio shows in the country right now. And when we had McLovin on, he kind of griped at the description of his job that was listed on the website you're listed as an executive producer so i guess what i what i want to ask you is when you go to work at the dan patrick show every day what are your goals what are you trying to accomplish what do you try to bring to the table that will make the dan patrick show better today than it was yesterday well i'm glad you asked that because we all do a variety of things and um, the titles don't always necessarily reflect everyone's contribution uh andrew perloff uh, aka mclevin does a lot more than you know what his title suggests. Show blogger. And I right. sit right next to him in the uh, in the back row there, and um, and you know you have seen director of operations and Paul also executive producer Paul and Dan here, and he's uh he's he's running the show and making sure Dan's got everything he needs with uh, with obviously the rest of the group uh, contributing as well. But we're we're covering the full gamut of everything. We're all wearing many hats from uh, you know we're booking guests, we're thinking of topics for the show poll questions, uh, ideas for sponsorships, how to, uh, best ways to go in and out of the breaks, you know, callers that uh, should make it on the air, callers that shouldn't make it on the air, what to, we should spend more time with, what we should spend less time with, what we shouldn't be talking about at all, you know, what, uh, just, it just runs a full gamut, and everyone is basically equal producers, and they, they say that uh, a couple of us are executive producers, or one is more handling the operations, the technical stuff, and one's blogging, but, uh, one thing uh, that Dan knows and all of us know, from, from 24-7, we're all on the clock working on the show, and we have our hands basically in everything, regardless of what uh, you know, titles uh, or positions they say. So if I was to interview Dan, which I'd love to do someday, but let's say I was talking to Dan, and, I, and something that came out of his mouth is, we'd never be able to do this on the show without Fritz. What do you think he would say? Oh, without, without my contribution? Yeah, well, if, if, if he said to me, you know, the show is great, but we'd never be able to accomplish this on the show without Fritz doing this. Uh, well, the, the first thing that comes to mind, and, I, and uh, 
I don't even know if that's completely accurate. It's because of my background in the last 20 plus years uh, in the business and the contacts that I've been uh, fortunate to amass. I would, I would think, or I hope you might say something along the lines of, we wouldn't be able to get the, the consistent day level news making guests that we do. But, um, but Dan has been in the business longer than I have, and he's got all kinds of contacts. Ultimately, they would find a way to get uh, the biggest names in sports and entertainment on. Now, I'd like to think that one of my uh, major contributions, in addition to hopefully my sense of humor with the show and some of the things that I'm willing to uh, reveal about myself, would maybe be along those lines that. Uh, so you do spend a lot of time booking guests and I assume who do you have maybe an anecdote and maybe you don't need to name names for the anecdote to work, but maybe just some kind of story about you know where you ran into uh you know some kind of experience that kind of maybe frustrates you or made you laugh or that you remember when you were trying to book a guest for the show uh, the only frustrating thing is you know everything is so fast paced sometimes and so uh now oriented you know sometimes you want to get an answer quicker uh than you might get, but that also works the other way sometimes people pitch us guests. And, you know, I try to get back to people as quickly as I can. There's no real pet peeve other than, you know, Dan, Dan likes to tweak me a little bit sometimes when I, I may tell him that, you know, I'm efforting somebody or I'm trying to get someone on or we may hear from somebody. I'm always careful until I get the official confirmation whether it's going to happen or not. And then sometimes he'll uh, promote it on the air because I guess it's flattering because he has so much confidence in me if I say that something might happen or I'm looking into something. He's, uh, you know, expecting that it's definitely going to happen. So, uh, and also I've worked with a lot of different agents and PR directors and teams. Some you can joke around with more. Some of them are more straight-laced and you've got to keep your uh, communication uh, more serious and uh, joking around. But uh, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. You're dealing with a lot of different personalities and, you know, you want to make sure you're handling yourself as professional as possible, not being too pushy when you're going after certain guests, you know, giving uh, the person on the other end enough time to... Uh, to work on your request, and uh, hopefully by the time it's showtime, we have the right people on, and uh, and it's all lined up and ready to roll. Do you have a favorite guest? My favorite guest, I love Charles Barkley. He always gets back to me quickly, and uh, he's just a lot of fun. He's willing to uh, show his personality. He's not afraid to say anything. There's, you know, there's plenty of guys that uh, and and ladies that we've enjoyed having on the show over the years. But if I had to pick one. It's hard to uh, go against Barkley. It's uh, probably one of my first choices. My next question about the show would be, do you ever pinch yourself, or did you ever dream that you'd work in an office quite like the unique office that you work in in the Dan Patrick Show? I did it. Who could imagine something like that? It's uh, just wild that um, we've got basketball courts and pinball machines, and we're throwing dodgeballs at each other. We have a bar, and it's just, you know, being in a man cave, you forget sometimes, you know, Especially this thing is, first of all, there's a lot of people that are, you know, highly talented people that are out of work altogether. But so fortunate to have a job. You know, a lot of people are just at desks and just kind of a bland or generic kind of a work setting. The fact, you know, you know, we're all buddies and we're hanging out together and uh, and able to shoot hoops and throw darts and play on a golf simulator and all the stuff that's in the man cave. You know, we we get caught up in our work uh, sometimes. I know I do, but it's important to you know take stock and. Take a break and say, and look around and go. Wow, look look at our uh, 
our so-called office. This is pretty wild. This is pretty cool. The sportscasters are here with Todd Fritz from the Dan Patrick Show. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Brooklyn Fritzy. One more question about the Dan Patrick Show before we move on. I did tell you I want to talk a little bit about the Broncos before we wrap up. Uh, one question I would have for you is you guys have been working pretty hard on the box score, which to me seems like maybe something that might have been inspired by the Howard Stern wrap-up show that Gary Delabate kind of created. And I'm wondering about the progress of that. You guys now seem to rotate the hosts, and I think I heard that it's going to be going to DirecTV as well. Is this something that you enjoy doing that excites you? Why don't you tell me a little bit about the box score and its evolution? Sure. No, it's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I know uh, the, the guys and, and Dan included enjoy uh, the Howard Stern show. So uh, you know, I'm not sure what the how much of a tie is indirectly to that, but uh, I know uh, that that's been listened to before Howard Stern's uh, after show. But we enjoy doing the doing the post show. You know, we get a chance to uh, air out some of our grievances, things maybe we forgot to mention or that we didn't get a chance to uh, to say during the show. And Casey Garrity, who uh, who's been uh, hosting the show. I think he's been doing an excellent job, and he knows how to uh, push our buttons and get the most out of all of us. But, no, it's as soon as the show's over, you know, you take a quick breath, and then, then it's on to, uh, you know, get ready for, uh, for the box score. And we, uh, we enjoy it. It's, it's, again, it's a chance for us all to uh, express ourselves, jab at each other a little bit, and, uh, you know, just kind of loosen up even further, you know, beyond what we were able to uh, discuss on the show, whether it's looking back at a clip and, uh, or something that happened on the show. But I think it's a necessity. Hopefully it's uh, informative and entertaining for our listeners and viewers. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun way to uh, wrap things up after the actual Dan Patrick show to, uh, to get ready for the box score. One follow-up on that. Does, uh, does it intimidate you a little bit to take the box score to DirecTV? I mean, I know you guys are already on DirecTV every day, but you kind of have the safety net of Dan. Are you a little intimidated to be on DirecTV without Dan? Uh, not not so much intimidated. It's nice to having Dan there, and uh, because he's such a professional, and he uh, and with his personality, he knows how to bail us out if we're struggling. Because we're uh, obviously not, uh, and that's uh, hopefully what makes it fun and interesting that we're not broadcast professionals. When he he, he decided to uh, you know allow us on the air and, and contribute our uh, our thoughts on a daily basis. But um, you know, at first it was you know a little daunting. I think we've gotten a lot more comfortable with this. You know, Dan will pop in sometimes and. Uh, and join us on the box score, which, uh, which helps in, uh, in, in get things moving. But, um, you know, it's, you know, I try not to think about that, which is difficult to do sometimes. But we've been doing it long enough, the show and the box score, where, you know, you forget the uh, number of millions of people that are tuning in across the country on radio and TV. And, uh, you know, we, we just go about our business and say what's on our mind and uh, try to ignore uh, cameras or uh, allow ourselves to think about uh, everyone that's, uh, that's tuning in. I think that would become a little stressful and daunting if we spend too much time thinking about exactly how many people around the country and around the world are actually uh, watching and listening. That would be, uh, that, that could uh, frighten you a little bit. The sportscasters are here with Todd Fritz, lucky enough to have him from the Dan Patrick Show, dpshow.com. Also, you can find him at Brooklyn Fritzy. want to talk about the Broncos. I don't want to lose the opportunity to have one of the Broncos' biggest fans on without talking a little bit about what's been going on there. And a big focus has been around the quarterback position. And you got three guys down there. Obviously, Brady Quinn, who is someone else's first-round pick. Kyle Orton, who is the veteran of the group. And then Tim Tebow, who brings with him, I guess, this whole aura and persona and, and group of fans 
And they kind of told, it seemed to me like they kind of gave the keys to the car to Tebow over the offseason, had him organize all these team activities and things like that during the lockout. And then when they failed to trade Kyle Orton, and Kyle Orton is so much better than Tim Tebow, they kind of got stuck in a weird spot. How do you want, as a fan, this to play out? And who do you hope, although it might not matter because it's probably Orton, but who do you hope starts the games this year? It's strange because I kind of go back and forth, and I like the excitement of Tebow and the running, and you know I can't. I just want to see him get out there and get as many reps as possible and prove what he can do. I enjoyed watching him in college in Florida, and uh, but you know trying to live in reality and, and with the so-called Tebow thing that's uh, been quoted by a lot of uh, players and media around the country. Orton is probably the best bet, um, and, but selfishly, just from an entertainment standpoint, and, and because uh, I just don't know how well the team's going to do this year. I don't have very high expectations from a win-loss standpoint, so if it's going to end up being similar in terms of records, you know, I'd love to see Tebow out there. As far as the best chance of winning right now, you know, i got to give it to uh, Orton. Um, I'm curious to see what Quinn can do over time as well, but um, if I had my brothers just as a fan, you know, I got my, I've won my Tebow jersey on the show a number of times, uh, and nothing against Kyle, but my allegiance right now, just from the sheer excitement and watching some of the plays and what he was trying to do in, uh, in preseason uh, the other night at Dallas. I'd like to uh, see Tebow out there, but uh, ultimately I think John Fox is going to go with the safer choice, um, the veteran, go with Orton, and then if he starts struggling, then you know you sprinkle in Tebow and see, uh, and see what he can do. I've heard some rumblings from Broncos camp that maybe Sean Moreno was, is going to turn out to be a bit of a bust. And I, it kind of caught me by surprise because I, I thought he made some, some strides last year. Are you worried about Moreno in the, as the long-term number one back there? Uh, I, I, have my, I have my doubts, but I'm, I'm not ready to write him off. I know they just uh, got rid of uh, Lindale White, and I'm curious to see uh, what McGahee can do. I'm still living in the past with, uh, with the you know, Olandis Garys and the, uh, and the Terrell Davises and uh, guys and Clinton Portises. So it, it was tough. There was a time during the uh, heydays when they were winning back-to-back Super Bowls where they just plugged in any running back and was able to uh, get at least a thousand yards out of them. But you know they don't have that same team, that same offensive line, and they don't have the talent that they uh, they used to have. So uh, I'm a little frustrated with with that. You know, that looking at a time not too long ago when almost anybody can take the ball and put up big numbers. So I, I don't know what to make of their running game just yet. Uh, my focus has been. On their, you know, hopefully that their defense can get better. They better in recent years. They've needed more of a, uh, you know, some more sacks, some more of a pressure on the quarterback. They, they need to do better, uh, better at that. So I'm, um, you know, I'm in a wait and see kind of mode. But ultimately, you know, my biggest thing right now is how much uh, action is Tebow going to get? Is this team a, a five and eleven, six and ten team? Is this team good enough where they can, you know, find a way to uh, get a road uh, wild card game out of the season? I just. Uh, I'm not feeling too confident that uh, this team's ready for a, for a playoff just yet. Brandon Lloyd had a career year last year, and it might be a lot to ask him to repeat it, but are you confident that Brandon Lloyd's going to continue to play at the number one wide-out level that he did last I think year? It, yeah, I think he will. I, you know, I, I like him a lot. You know, I liked you know, Brandon Marshall, but then uh, there was a mess between him and, uh, and Coach McDaniels, and they, you know, it was time to send him packing to, uh, to Miami. You know, I like Eddie Royal a lot. But, you know, I've always I've liked their receivers in recent years. They're not Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp and Eddie McCaffrey and some of the guys I really loved during the uh, 
the Super Bowl years in the uh, in the late '90s against uh, Green Bay and Atlanta. But uh, I'm expecting big things from Lloyd, and uh, if they're going to put up the uh, the number of points they're going to need to win a, a decent amount of games, he's going to have to have another big year for them. Have you followed Von Miller's progress in training camp here, and how do you how do how do you think yeah. he's ready to perform? I got a glimpse of of him here and there, not uh, not as much as uh, I would have liked. I've been trying to read articles here and there, but uh, you know I haven't followed Von enough. It's still too soon with only you know one preseason game under the uh, team's belt to get a good feel. You know, obviously we know what he accomplished in college, but uh, you know as far as what he's going to do with the uh, with the new and improved, hopefully Orange Crush, I'm. Uh, very, I'm very, you know, interested to see how he's going to uh, mature and what he's going to be able to bring to the table for a team that's uh, been struggling in that department in recent years. The sportscasters are here with Todd Fritz. Again, he's from the DP Show, dpshow.com, the Dan Patrick Show. You can find him on Twitter at Brooklyn Fritzy. Anything you want to plug for the Dan Patrick Show or anything that you're doing coming up that you want to mention to my listeners? Uh, I know we have Kirk Gibson coming on the show tomorrow. We may hear from Dan Ugla. Eli Manning's expected on Thursday. Um, you know, we appreciate all the uh, support on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and everyone that's tuning in, whether it's podcast or you know streaming live on the website or on the audience network on uh, on Direct TV or our you know 260 plus uh, radio affiliates around the country. That's uh, you know it's it's meant a lot to us, and you know people have gone out of their way, whether they see us in person on the streets or they'll. Send us a little note via Facebook or Twitter or callers to the show to let us know how much they appreciate and enjoy the show. And uh, hopefully we're finding the right blend of uh, information and entertainment each day. Cause that's, uh, that's always a daily battle to make sure we're covering all the stories we need to cover, but do it uh, in an entertaining, informative way. And, uh, you know, we're just we're excited and, we, you know, there's big things ahead you know, between the show and, uh, and the box score and all the other things that we want to accomplish here on the network. And... Uh, the uh, sky's the limit, and hopefully everyone will come along and stay with us along uh, on what's been an exciting ride so far. All right, last thing before I let you go. A couple weeks ago, when McLovin was on, we started a little bit of a Twitter war because he mentioned that you guys were having a little bit of a battle between each other to see who could have the most followers. And, you know, he mentioned you guys always want to seem like you're the best in Dan's eyes and you wanted to build followers. So I challenged my followers to follow McLovin. And he challenged his to follow me. And his, his okay. followers did pretty good. I, I bet about 175 came over. So I want to okay. challenge you to challenge your followers to outdo McLovin. Okay. Because I think it can happen. I think that if you get the note out, and I'm going to get the note out to make sure, hey, you know, McLovin's a thing of the past. Let's forget him now. Let's focus <laughs> on Fritzy. He's our boy this week. Let's get following him. You know, forget McLovin. He's the thing of the past. Okay, I'm going to do that on my end. So I need you to do the same. Say, look it, Fritzy fans, you voted me on the show. It was almost unanimous. We can't let, we can't let Andrew Pirloff outdo us. No, we can't. We can't let Pirloff get away with that. And uh, we should definitely join that challenge. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm a little behind the uh, rest of the Danettes. And uh, I'm not going to take it too personally. I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that they... Uh, they st- they started on Twitter a lot uh, earlier than I did, and they're on that uh, a lot more than I am. So uh, instead, instead of taking it personally, because I think uh, I think Seton may have like twenty thousand already, and uh, and uh, Paulie and Patrick, uh, and Paulie and Andrew may have something in the fifteen sixteen range. I think I'm first uh, cracking close to uh, to ten thousand. So hopefully we can boost it up for each other and uh, 
and, uh, and get that rolling. Okay, so I'm going to fire the first shot here. I got at Brooklyn Fritzy was just on the show. Follow him now. I demand it. His followers <laughs> need to step it up and not lose to McLovin. So that's my Love first it. shot. I'm waiting for you to fire back. Let's see if we can get this thing going. And look, it, honestly, I really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you being on the show and being flexible with us. And I hope you have a good time down with your kids at camp today. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, and, again, it was a pleasure to be on. Thank you for uh, thinking of me, and uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Sportscasters are back for one last segment here on episode number 36. I want to thank our guests today, our buddy Dave Damashek and, of course, Todd Fritz from the Dan Patrick Show. Hopefully we're building up our street cred over there and maybe inching ourselves closer and closer <laughs> to having the great Dan Patrick on the show someday. That'd be phenomenal. That would be. So one last piece of business here for episode 36. Before we get to that, I want to mention a few spots where you can find us. We did this a few weeks ago, but I want to kind of remind you, if you are a big iPad user and you choose to listen to our show on the iPad, I want to recommend two apps. One is called Downcast, and the other is called Stitcher. You can find the sportscasters on either of those apps, Downcaster or Stitcher, and they work great on your iPad. If you are an iPhone user, I really also would like to recommend Stitcher and, of course, Instacast. Instacast is my favorite app for fantasy football podcast that I listen to. I always uh, fantasy focus on ESPN. You listen to that, Don? I do, yes. Uh, and I enjoy listening to that on Instacast. I also enjoy listening to the sportscasters on Instacast as well. And if you like to listen to the sportscasters with your laptop, if you're headed to college with a brand new MacBook Pro or Mac Air, I recommend a program that is in the Mac App Store called Podcast Player Pro. You can also find our podcast on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the sportscasters. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash sports underscore casters. You can also find Don, he is at Don Like Sports, and you can find myself at Diversity23. Our blog, the sportscasters.blogspot.com, got a brand new blog up there right now about pay sites versus free sites for fantasy football. And you can email us anytime, the sportscasters at email gmail.com and don't forget again our website is www.sports-casters.com all right so let's move on to pick four last week i was two and two i won my pitcher of the week ian kennedy with the diamondbacks they beat the mets four to three that was ian kennedy's 15th win of the season 15 and three a Cy Young candidate in the national league i also won the saints over the 49ers that was 24 to three i lost the game of the week the very first NFL game in 2011, the Patriots, I picked the Jaguars over the Patriots. The Patriots destroyed them, 47-12. Yeah. to 12. My bold pick of the week was that Drew Brees would throw a touchdown pass. He did not. He actually had very limited action, only played one drive. He was one for four for six yards. Don, on the other hand, was also 2-2. Two and two. He won the game of the week, picking the Patriots over the Jaguars. He also won his host choice game of the week. Uh, the Cubs or Braves over the Cubs, ten to four. His pitcher, Sabathia, now has a loss to someone besides the Red <laughs> Sox, 
as he got beat up a little bit by the Which Rams. I also called after I made the pick. Yep. Five to one. And no, not unless you're going to correct me on this, but as far as I could No, tell, none of them played. No fantasy studs no. injured. There's too much It'll be interesting. protection around the league. It'll be interesting to see if they work them into the games a lot more. I mean, typically that third game is a tryout game. Right. It'll be interesting to see, though, beyond that, since they've had so much less off-the-field practice, if, there's the off the, if the offenses will be a little bit behind the defenses to start the season this year. Overall, my record is 62-63, and 63 and Don is 59-68. and 68. Ugly. All right, the game of the week this week is the Giants at the Braves on Thursday at 7.10 p.m. Eastern time. That features Lincecum and Miner. I will take the Giants and Lincecum to win the game. I want to take the Braves. You know, the Giants are a team that have really been skidding a bit. Currently, the Braves are five up on them in the wild card, and the Giants are now in second place after having spent most of the season first place. They've finished, they're right now currently second behind the Diamondbacks, two and a half games behind, five behind the Braves. Lincecum has been well, been pitching well, but I like the Braves, just a little bit better team right now, playing a little bit better. And ever since this television show has started, the franchise, basically a 24-7 type television show about the New York or San Francisco Giants on Showtime. They, they really haven't played well. So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my Braves. The, my host choice game this week uh, takes place Saturday at 410. It's the Brewers at the Mets. I'm going to take Milwaukee uh, who, pitching Wolf versus the Mets pitching Capano. Or Capano. All right, my host choice. I'm going to pick the Saints over the Texans. Went to the well last week. I'm going to go to the well one more time. They play Saturday, August 20th, 8 o'clock at Reliance Stadium, and I'll be able to watch, as you will you, the game on the NFL Network. My pitcher this week is also from the Giants. I'm going to go with Vogelsong over the Astros, who are terrible. Uh, they have Rodriguez starting, who's 8-9 with a 3.50 ERA. That game is Friday at 8.05. I mentioned the San Francisco Giants being on a television show called The Franchise on Showtime every week. One of the great pieces of that show has been the story of Ryan Vogelsong and he has been up and down Pirates, minor leagues Japan back to the United States on the all-star team this year he's 10-2 with a 2.47 ERA as Don mentioned and separately we made these picks and both decided <laughs> to go with Ryan Vogelsong not the first time that that's happened in no. that category not sure it's always worked but uh my bold prediction this week is based on nothing, no insider information or anything other than the fact that the Bills' offensive line is terrible. I'm going to say that they will sign Jonathan Stinchcomb, just dropped by your Saints. Very shocking. That he was dropped? Very shocking. Very yeah, surprising. maybe he's more hurt than... Well, the, the company line is, is that they want to get younger at that position, and they, they have two players in mind, Zach Strife and Charles Brown. And they want to have a true competition there, and they just want them to have more reps. So that's the company line. Zach Streif is in the inside track to be the starter there. And it was surprising to me. I thought that Stinchcom, who played in the Pro Bowl in 2009, I thought that he might bounce back this year and really be a good player. But I was surprised. I got the news at the fair yesterday. Like I said, I based it on nothing. I don't know anything about be a good pickup. Yeah, I mean Class they, they need something. They're already really good locker room guy. Yeah, they're already moving parts around on the offensive line, and that's not good. My bold prediction is that Drew Brees will throw two TD passes <laughs> this week. I tried it with one last week, but I think he's going to play a little bit more, 
And believe it or not, he was pissed off with the way he played. He actually had a chance to extend the drive that he was on. He had Jim Graham wide open, and he short hopped him. him. Yeah, I saw some tweets so, that he was a little bit erratic. Yeah, so he was, he was rattled about that. So we'll see if he can get two TD passes for me this week. All right, so again, I want to thank our guests from today, Dave Damashek and Todd Fritz. I want to remind you to find the show and all of other show-type material at www.sports-casters.com, and we will be back with you next week. Not sure who the guests are going to be just yet, but I'm working on some things that I don't want to jinx. But It'll be great. Our track record has proven that we will have some solid guests for you next week. Thanks for listening. Cue the hip. We are out. All right.